Hey listeners, this is Andy from the editing booth. I just finished up this episode, which if you haven't looked at your timestamp is about four and a half hours long, plus the change that I'm recording now. I would recommend that if you guys don't really want to listen to us kind of bullshit for four and a half hours, take a break. I have a surprise in the middle for you guys uh, when you get to where we take a break. And also just a little news headline. This was a really big project. We had a lot to say about it. So chances are we're not going to have an episode released next week. And we're going to do a lot more DVD extras before we tackle the next big project. So look forward to it and enjoy the show. Sync. That one was actually really good. Okay. So this is coming a little bit late for me. Uh, well, you you come in a little bit after I say it, but it it's fine. Okay. It's it no, seems I mean, I'm to sure work that's out. That's why we have to sync it. Yeah, exactly. Ugh. So, okay, I actually, if we're if we're going to be opening up with non sequiturs, I have two non sequiturs. I thought you have I two non sequiturs for with, me. With you and also the fine people who listen to this podcast, definitely throw them at me. So I am living in Scottsdale now, nice. and in Scottsdale, there is a theater called the Don Bluth Theater. What? And do you know why it's called that, Andy? Why? It's because Don Bluth owns it. Are you serious? Yeah, it's a live theater. I kind of want to go, like, their tickets are 25 bucks each. They're gonna do. They're doing Fiddler on the Roof now, and they're gonna be doing um, Little Mermaid next month. I kind of want to see those, so I might actually go to the Don Bluth Theater and see these see these shows. So that'll be fun. I'm looking. Isn't that rad? I that is so rad. I'm looking this up right now. Cause, cause here's my big thing. Uh oh shit! So you're gonna go see the live show? I want to see the live show. My only problem is I don't know anybody who would want to go with me. And as we have discussed, going to live shows alone can be fun. But my experience has been kind of meh. We'll see. It could have been because it was a comedy show, though. Fiddler on the Roof for Little Mermaid might be different. So apparently you live in the same town as Don Bluth. And I am so mad right now. Yeah, I am well, so you mad. Come visit, and we can stalk Don Bluth together. There, listen. There, there is nothing I would love more than to stalk an almost ninety-year-old man. Okay, we have that recorded now. Yes, yes, we do. And uh, I could have phrased it better. I decided not to. Listeners, take that out of con- out of context. That'd be perfect. Thank you. This is this is a power move. I want Don Bluth to know. I want him to be scared. <laughs> Don Bluth week. Can we not? We're big fans of your work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Give me a sec. I'm going to look up real quick. Um, How far away you live from me? About. I think it's like six hours. Is it? If it's six. I think think it's a decent drive. Uh, Let me see here. Directions. Here we go. It's just from town to town. Yeah, it's a six-hour and 17-minute drive. It's almost a straight shot, though. Yeah, and you know what? At least the road that I took when I was down there was actually a real nice road. Completely empty. Yeah, you go through two national forests on Highway 60. Oh. (laughs) Coming into Scottsdale, you have to be careful. 
because if, when you come into Phoenix, your GPS will 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 get you an extra fifteen minutes by getting you off the highway early. Yeah, which takes you through moose territory or not moose elk territory. Well, why did I do that? I just added time to my drive. Oh, here we go. So yeah, I'm looking at about a six-hour drive, which um, I could feasibly do in a weekend. Yeah, I mean, I've done it. I would be, I would be fucking exhausted driving for um, mm-hmm. almost fourteen straight hours. Um, but that would be worth it to go see like a live theatrical production of either The Little Mermaid or. I've never actually seen Fiddler on the Roof. I've heard it's good. I know you haven't seen Fiddler on the Roof, and the reason I know that is because in the unaired Lion King one and a half episode... Did we talk about that? I... What happens is... And we're gonna have to talk about this again, because we have to release a version of that episode. Yeah, we we <laughs> we should definitely go back to that. There's a, there's a reference to Sunrise Sunset. Yeah. Which is from oh, Fiddler on the Roof. That's and it's right. a hilarious moment that went right over your head because you <laughs> hadn't seen Fiddler. I mean I I as somebody who as somebody who follows video game news, I've I have to live a lot of my life kind of realizing that I'm just not going to experience a lot of great things in the world. Oof. It's getting heavy in here. Well, no, I mean, uh, like, there's no possible way for me to play all of the amazing video games that come out. Like, Night in the Woods came out a couple weeks ago. I'm never going to play that. I want to. It's never going to happen. Here's the thing. I don't like video games. Like, I like video games that I liked as a kid. This is the. I feel like this is actually, like, the one thing that I really... That, that really me as a kid connected to more than anything else. Yeah. Because... I don't get nostalgia for a lot of things. I I feel like I like things on their merits or lack thereof. Hmm. Um but I will like video games purely because I played them when I was little. And not for any other reason. Like all these new video games come out and I'll be playing a good video game and it'll be a fun video game and then I'll be like, "Okay, that's enough." <laughs> I'll just walk away and finish it. <laughs> I, I, I'm realizing now that video games are are such a large part of my life, even if I don't mm-hmm. want them to be, because they take up so much goddamn time to play. Like right now, um, oddly enough, right now I'm playing uh, Assassin's Creed Unity, which is the one that's set in Paris, France, during the uh, 17... Uh, 1779 uh revolution not 1786 is it 86 i have the date wrong it's somewhere between 79 and 86 that france had their own revolution right no 89 it's 1789 that it started okay man you made me just say right because i'm your wrong thing do you know how i know this tony (laughs) i don't i don't know how do you know this because because of the second cabinet battle in Hamilton that takes place in 1789. 1789. This is a good segue. Because my other thing is is that, yeah, I figure people who listen to this podcast are probably 
either fans of Hamilton are not quite sick of us talking about it. <laughs> so, um, what I found interesting, apparently, Theodosia, uh, a few hundred girls were named Theodosia last year. Yeah. Oh, really? And Theodosia was a name that nobody had used in the year before. Yeah. Well, it is a beautiful name. It's a great... It, it is a good name, and I find it interesting that and great that there's a revival of it. It's a lot better, because you'll see stuff like that. You'll see... Um, what was the girl's name from Twilight? Give me a sec. I'm losing you. I mean, that makes sense. I started talking about Twilight. <laughs> but you, what you, I assume you were saying that after Twilight was released, a lot of uh, women named their daughters Belle. Bella. Yeah. Really, really, Bella yeah. is that her name? Okay. Yeah, and uh, Edward, and obviously they name their daughters Edward, but you get it. Yeah, I get you. Well, and that's and that's the funny thing though is is you know when you have a big piece of pop culture hit, you know, like oh my god, you know what I just realized, Tony. What'd you just realize? There are teenagers walking around named Hermione. That's awesome. Because the first Harry Potter book came out in the 90s. Did it come out in the 90s? I believe so. Didn't it come out in the 90s? I remember. Harry Potter's a lot older than I think it is. I got into it really late. And by the time I... I'm wondering if it was in the 80s because the only reason is... No, it was in the 90s. Okay, 90s. All right. It was, it was in the 90s. Uh, the first book came you're out right. in 97. No, 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 no. you're right. Because by the time I got into it, I was in, like, first grade. And I... she was on her fourth book, so it wouldn't have been 80. She didn't take that long in between books. Yeah, I got into it in middle school. Yeah, middle school. About the rele- uh, Right after the release of uh, Order of the Phoenix... And I was well into it enough to pre-order Half-Blood Prince when it came out. That wasn't middle school. That was way before middle school. Do you know what? People, I have such nostalgia for bookstores when Harry Potter books would be coming out. Because people would actually, like, gather. People would show up. Yeah. And just hang out at bookstores until midnight when they could all buy their books. It's, I never had just, that experience. Like a bunch of nice little memories. Oh, well, that's too bad. You'll never get that experience because Harry Potter's never coming out again. Yeah. Well, and, I, and like, <clears throat> I... They just released a new Harry Potter book. That didn't happen. I, I it, it also kind of pisses me off because I got into video games several years after midnight launches were a thing. I don't know. If, mm. Like, I, uh, my, my cousin and one of my really good friends, Logan, both got to go to... Got to go to midnight launches of things, and they would tell me about it. But by the time I got around to actually like be knee deep in video game culture, like everyone talks about pre order midnight releases and stuff like that, like a thing of the past because they don't really happen anymore. You used to have midnight launch parties, right? You can just you just get it on Amazon now, and it'll usually show up day of. Yeah. Um, Which is fine. That's great. Yeah, no, like, don't get me wrong. But it means that you, it, it does mean that you lose just a little piece of um, camaraderie. Yeah, or just, yeah, like, the, the community, the community the, changes the, a lot the whenever gamers and whenever something readers, like that happens. And and, uh, I'm kind of, in a way, I'm kind of happy that 
Yeah. Well, in, in a way, I'm kind of happy that movie theaters still exist because I feel like as long as as long as movie theaters exist in America, we will always have a midnight like people lining up to go watch this movie in costumes and like having a good time. Yeah, I went to see um I went to see the first Avengers, um, and also like the five movies that came before that in a special <laughs> release thing. Oh, nice. So oh, I did pe- hear about people that. People came dressed as. People came dressed as Thor, and um, uh, there was a girl who was dressed as what's her face, Black Widow, and and all this cool stuff. That was that was rad. Oh, and um, I remember only finding out later that Hulk says puny god because everybody was laughing and clapping. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, like I, I'm 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 still I'm really happy that movie theater. God, you know what? Something that I want to talk about someday is how big the Avengers was because I feel like in a couple of years people are gonna forget how big the avengers was it was a big fucking deal it's the first movie series that managed to do what it's done and yeah now everybody's like oh the movies are too long and oh it feels like they're coasting and all this stuff but fucking that was amazing yeah and not only was it like not only was it amazing but it was like the first time in my life that everyone i knew everyone i knew was talking about like comic book superheroes like yeah i've never i I had never experienced that before or really since Mm -hmm. since the avengers came out like i don't know it is i feel like people a lot of people are going to be writing kind of essays about about the avengers over the next decade Mm -hmm. because i i do think that the avengers is like a turning point in movie history Oh, definitely. I mean, hell, a superhero movie, multiple superhero movies have come out basically every year. Since Since then. And that's kind of absurd if you look at how they were coming out before the Avengers started. Speaking, speaking of turning points, um, I, I don't want, and I don't want to talk about this here, but I do want to talk about this with you at some point because I got to watch, uh, it was my mother's birthday this this past weekend, and I got to watch Logan with her. Oh, okay. And for, first of all, something first of all, like the the most interesting thing is a something that's never crossed my mind until I watched this movie is Hugh Jackman has been playing Wolverine for seventeen years. Seventeen, really? Yeah, so the first X Men movie came out in two thousand. Wow. Yeah, and. And and I went back and I like looked at some screenshots of the first X Men movie and Hugh Jackman looks so young in that movie and mm-hmm. in Logan he looks so old and they they aged him up with like makeup and stuff because Hugh Jackman doesn't look that old but they right. they really made him look old in this movie holy shit um that's interesting but but the big reason I want to talk about it um later is because this. I think Logan as a movie gives gives Marvel a way to move on from characters. Oh, um, I know because okay, it's it's his it's his final movie. It's yeah, it's Hugh Jackman's final Logan. movie. Yeah, it's Hugh Jackman's final movie as Wolverine. He said it as much. He's like, I'm done. I'm too old to do this. Um, and 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 they. This is like the only time I've seen a superhero be given a proper send off. Like, 
I have been salute. seeing, and again, again, this is a this is a DVD extras conversation. Yeah, easily. Um, I finally got around to seeing uh, the the new Captain America, though the one that came out last year, Civil War, and uh, yeah, and I. I have a lot of opinions about that movie, and we're not getting into that. But I did notice that it felt like, a lot of it felt like a way for them to wrap up Iron Man. Yeah, like they're... I, like they're building up toward... Yeah, to getting... No more Iron Man. To, to retiring wherever we him. Go, wherever we go after this, with all the other superheroes... Yeah. At some, at some point after, I don't know, the third Avengers movie, or the third Guardians movie, however they set that up yeah. and stuff like that. After that, Iron Man's out. And that's that's the thing, though, is ever since Iron Man 3, I felt like Marvel's been trying to retire Iron Man. It's just that they don't know how to do it. Um, And I think, Again, I think Logan I gives them an easy way, an easy test bed. Like, this is how you do it. This mm-hmm. is how you retire a character. And holy crap, we really need to talk about the movie. Okay, yeah, sorry, it. sorry. It's, so much is happening right now in terms of just movies. Welcome to Direct-to-Video. Yeah, welcome to Direct-to-Video, a podcast where we talk about poor sequels to great movies. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. Ah, this was another one of those movies that I used to watch as a kid. So, before we talk about The Enchanted Christmas, I really want to talk about Beauty and the Beast, so let me just really Oh my god, we are spending, I need to, I need to make something clear here. Okay, we are spending a lot of time on this. We're spending most of our time on Beauty and the Beast. Oh, easily, easily, but here's the thing is, I don't want to talk- I was watching, I was watching Beauty and the Beast, it's not my favorite Disney movie, Mm -hmm. but I enjoyed watching it more than Lion King, which is my favorite Disney movie. For the reason that I got to watch it and meticulously write down all the stuff I thought was crazy. So, and I really want you to get into this because I watched Beauty and the Beast. I sat down in front of my computer screen and I was like, I'm so, I'm ready. Fucking bring it mm-hmm. on. I hate this movie so much. I love this movie, Tony. It's so, it's, it's awesome. I do. How, I also love how this did this. Movie. And I'm, and I'm, and I don't know. And that's the thing. Is I the, was certain I did not like this movie. Me too. And the thing is, I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking back to like the youthful memories I had hating this movie as a child. And I'm realizing all of the reasons that I had for hating this child, for hating this movie as a kid were shitty boy reasons. Like, uh, it's about princesses. Fuck off, 10 year old me. She's awesome. <laughs> She's one of the best characters in the goddamn awesome. movie. Also, there's a giant monster who, like, yeah, kind of, he's kind of like a, he does have, like, weird Mr. Darcy aspects, but he's also, like, a cool giant monster who fights wolves. Like, there's a lot of boy stuff in this movie. Oh, so much boy. This, this movie really nails how, uh, how, uh, how it can feel having, uh, 
having a sister, which I don't think is what they wanted to go for, but I feel like <laughs> I, 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 there are so many moments where Beast reacts to Belle, and I'm like, I can't be mad at the guy. I would react the same way yeah if i was a shitty kid which i will talk about later we're gonna get into we are definitely gonna get into all of beast's psychological problems i wrote a fucking essay yeah it's but can i um i want you to real quick for me i want you to real quick Mm -hmm. i want you to look up uh rob robbie benson he is the he was the voice actor of the beast in beauty and the beast um, I believe he was the voice of both Prince Beast and Beast Beast, if that makes sense. Makes sense. Um, and here's and here's why because holy shit, this man looks like looks like the role. Okay, which role? Because I have one of older Harry Robert Robbie Benson, and in one which he of looks younger. Like, but that's the thing is, a bit, is older Harry a Robbie big, Benson pretty much perfect. Yeah, it, older Harry Robbie Benson looks like the Beast, and younger Robbie Benson looks like the Prince, which is like that's pretty perfect. Yeah, I, good on good on the Disney animators for really nailing his uh <laughs> his uh like. I, I don't know, like, visage. Is that the word I'm looking for? Is it visage? Visage works. Yes, vicious. You visit Anyway. You're, you just made weird computer noises, and I've never been more scared in my life. <laughs> well, you should be I don't know if this is gonna, I don't know if this is gonna, like, catch on the recording, but you did. <laughs> I, I hope like, I, I really hope it doesn't catch on the recording. I super hope that. So that I just sound like a Th- creep. You literally sounded like a synthesizer from the center, from the middle of a Daft Punk song. <laughs> there's, so. there's a reason we're recording on two distinct microphones. It's not supposed to come across. Anyway, <laughs> getting so, to this actual movie that we have failed to talk about for, for oh gosh, 25 minutes. 25 minutes. This is going to be a long episode. This is going to be a long episode, Crikey. and I'm going to have it out by Friday. Oh my god. Like, I'm going to have this to you by Friday, because I want this to be out by Friday, because that's when this, I believe that's when the live action one comes out, is this Friday. I believe it does, but I don't want you working yourself to death. No, so. <laughs> and, and the reason I want to get this out by Friday is because I'm going to go watch it Sunday, I think. Oh, okay. I get it. Um, I I was looking at our pod track stats, and I think I, t- I I think I said something about Wolf Quest being the highest one. Wolf Quest got fifty listens. Yeah, well, which is pretty so... good. And 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 so I was looking at that, and I was like, "Huh, that's interesting. I wonder why that's why that's more popular with me other ones." And then <laughs> I thought, "I bet if we can time Beauty and the Beast, we're gonna get a fucking spike." Yeah, easily. Um, so. And I got, like, weirdly psyched about it. <laughs> so that's where I am. That's where I am here. Can we talk about this movie now? Yeah, yeah, let's start. So so the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that um, Beauty and the Beast has been in Walt Disney's catalog of princess movies to make since Snow White. Like, they, Beauty and the Beast has always been, like, up there in terms of this is, this is one of the movies we're going to have to adapt. 
but by the, by around the by the 1950s the team had given up on trying to do it because uh no none of the scripts were coming through on the story side and then uh another animated version of the movie had come out i think or no mm-hmm. a live action version of the movie had come out um okay i think i've seen that in like libraries yeah and so so it was just kind of shelved but after um after Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out, um, a lot of a lot of uh, great animators were coming forward, kind of pitching Beauty and the Beast again. A lot of those people who kind of inspired the team to get started on this movie, a lot of those people who I mean who worked on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, declined to assist, um, but they pushed through it anyway. And so, like drafts began happening, storyboards were put up, and they got a whole reel like ready to go and um, start pushing through to animation but the thing is is in 1989 uh the new walt disney chairman uh jeffrey katzenberg who um i'm not i can't talk about him too much but he's a colorful dude and i would recommend that anybody who wants to know about all the crazy shit that went on at disney in the 90s his name is all over that stuff interesting so he he comes up a lot i assume and uh he he saw the original story reel and he just he hated it he told them to throw it all away and start from scratch which is insane christ yeah like that that is is, that's madness and 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 when i say throw it all away i don't mean start over i mean literally take everything you've drawn for this throw it in the garbage start from scratch i don't want to see anything (sighs) from the old like so and here's the reason why that's insane is because a when when if, if you're if you're a team of animators especially in the late 80s before this is before um the little mermaid had come out so they were they were going through some rough times more like uh morale wise to be told Mm. this like just being told that your art isn't good enough after years of being told by the world that your art isn't what it used to be like oof they wanted it to be a broadway style musical they got howard ashman and alan menken uh who both worked on the little mermaid extensively to just i was gonna say dream team yeah to retool like that they were brought in at at that point to retool what what work was being done on beauty and the beast into a musical just like the little mermaid had been uh, like there, there's a lot of history here and i don't want to go through all of it but basically like after after years of just working and retooling they kind of had just what what i would say is a masterpiece now I think if you want to hear a more in-depth story of the production of Beauty and the Beast, just because like I didn't have time to research it, I literally just finished watching The Enchanted Christmas, like now about forty like minutes ago. Hour. Yeah, now yeah. about ha- about forty <laughs> minutes ago, I literally just finished watching it because I wanted to be fresh off of this movie. And um, I so, like to let stuff stew. But I'll I'll uh, I'll 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 find a link and I'll put something in the I'll we'll try to put something in the description for for people listening if they want to hear a good another good three hours of beauty and the beast um yeah that's a good idea it sounds this is way more sorted than i thought it would be well the the big thing is just like like at this time in history disney disney animation studios was in a really bad spot like they had just been kicked out of their uh of their animation department on the main campus and they were literally working out of uh, trailers it was insane Mm -hmm. which is also crazy because then suddenly they bounce back for the first time in half a century almost they made a real actual hit 
the biggest thing I think I can give to this movie is it is beyond amazing. Like it that's the thing. I again I remember not liking this movie for all the pratfalls and plot issues and stuff like this. It's a great movie. Let's let's get into it. Yeah, let's just like I wanna I wanna really I wanna try to roll through this plot as quickly as possible with you kind of providing your I was gonna say we're gonna you're gonna roll through it quickly as possible. No, I'm gonna so, so I wanna we're roll, gonna have pit stops. I man. yeah, that's the thing is I wanna roll through this plot as quickly as possible. I have a feeling we're gonna be here for hours. Oh, I hope you don't edit that. No, that 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 S kind of slid into home at the last minute. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, uh, so at the the beginning of the movie, um, it starts off with this kind of, uh, semi voiceover, semi animated montage of, yeah, it looks like a stained, it's a, yeah, I was gonna say stained glass. It looks like a stained stained glass. glass, It's a stained glass window, which, um, is kind of, I think it's, I've heard a lot of people say that this is like them trying to redo the, the whole storybook thing that was done in Snow White, but differently, which definitely way, oh, okay. definitely better. I like the stained glass idea better, just because it fits so well with the aesthetic of the movie. Yeah, it, it it absolutely went in perfectly for the for the aspect for for the visual aspect of the movie. Of the movie. I thought it was supposed to be a send up of Sleeping Beauty, not Snow White. It's possible. Um. But I haven't seen Sleeping Beauty in a long time, so I might be misremembering. Yeah, and which Sleeping Beauty I don't think has sequels, so <laughs> so I think we're good. I think we're good there. <laughs> Is that what you think? Does it? Don't tell me it does. I believe, if I'm remembering correctly from my extensive research on the subject. <laughs> That it does not exactly have a sequel, but there is a movie that came out that features two stories, one with Belle and one with Aurora. So that's gonna be an episode. <laughs> Alright, well I guess I guess we're gonna have to watch Sleeping Beauty at some point. So Sleeping Beauty's a great movie. I don't know what you're even on about. Well, it's a beautiful movie. It's just also a boring ass movie. Okay. You know what? Yeah. Like, no, don't, don't get me wrong. It's a beautiful movie. I'd love to just... It's a beautiful movie. The music is great. The music is good. I would love to sit there it... and listen to the music and look at stills from the movie for hours. Watching it, though, you know sounds we're... terrible. Do you know what we're fucking doing, Andy? I'm not talking about Beauty and the Beast. So the beginning montage not talking about uh, is, is this story of, of, of an enchantress disguised as an old beggar who who comes up to this castle and offers an enchanted rose to a young prince in exchange for shelter from what seems to be a blizzard. And he's like, nah, you're ugly. Close doors. And then she asks again, and he's like, nah, you're still ugly. And then she turns into this, like, beautiful enchantress woman, and he's like, oh my god, never mind. You should totes come in. And she's like, you're a terrible person. And then curses him to be a beast and curses uh, all of the people in his life to become objects um, because that's how he treats people. Yes, okay. So, I waited, I I held my breath and clenched my fists and waited for you to get through all that. <laughs> because holy hell do I have a problem with this bit. So, the prince is ten years old. Eleven. 
He's 11, 11. years old. We know this because it's, it's 10, 10 years, years later yeah. when he's 21. Which means... He's not supposed to let strangers into his house. Yeah, a Good cool. on him. That He did the right thing there. Yeah. Second problem. They call this woman an enchantress. Yes. Which seems like it's supposed to mean better than a witch? Different than a witch? Like a good person who's trying to teach a les- lesson? Even though what she does is straight up out of Snow White. She pretends yeah, well, to I be mean... a crone to get into somebody's house. And then yeah, but when she's an enchantress, she's actually a beautiful woman who's also magic. But she's wearing a white dress, which means she's obviously good. This is some bullshit, Andy. Third no, problem. No, come on. We all know when an enchantress wears black, a la Maleficent, they're evil. Unless you watch the Maleficent movie, in which case you would say that they are complex, strong, independent characters. Mm-hmm. And when they're the yeah, exactly. And when they're wearing white, they are lawful, good control freaks. Is that? Am I good? It's just the it's just the I don't want to get into a conversation about whether or not Glenda the Good Witch is actually a good witch. Um, we all know she's not though, right? Like she's kind of a uh, bitch. Andy, we are talking about a different movie. Well then stop bringing up other ones. Third problem. She curses everyone in the castle. Yes. And their only crimes are being part of the servant class. So here's here is here is a big thing, and I I can't believe I'm defending this movie, first of all. Second of all, I think I think the idea isn't isn't that she's so in like so much punishing the staff for being a part of the servant class, but because like this child is their ward. From what I can tell, this kid has no parents. He's he's he is straight up he is straight up in an Alfred the Butler, it might as well be his dad situation. Like, except instead of Alfred, it's, uh, oh, what are their names? Uh, I have them written down. Lumiere, Cogsworth, and Mrs. Potts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, Cogsworth, Lumiere, and Mrs. Potts are, are his wards. Like, they are meant to be taking care of him. And, I mean, I get that he is, like, above them in terms of class, but they, they should be, they should have been more strict with him they should have been better about should they have because again all he did was not let a random stranger into his house but that's the thing is is it wasn't the other thing is his crime wasn't not letting a stranger into his house it was i'm not letting you in because you're ugly not because i'm not supposed to let strangers into my house but but because you're ugly here's the other thing here's the other thing that's insane i'm gonna i'm gonna lay this out okay He's 10 years old. You know what? When I was 10 years old, I wasn't calling people ugly, and I certainly wasn't not... Well, okay, I was calling people ugly. But I wasn't treating them badly because they were ugly. You know what? I think I did. Oh my god, Tony, were you a bad child? I I don't think... No, I don't think I was a bad child. But I think that... You know, kids... They've done studies on this. Kids like... Um what do you call it, symmetric facial features? Yeah. And if somebody has an an asymmetric face, then kids will distrust them automatically without knowing why. It's a a weird thing. Because you look less less human, therefore the brain kind of classifies you as animal. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's not great, but it's also something that through your childhood you get over and not by the time you're 11 year old, years old or else a witch curses Hey, man, you. by the time I was 10, uh, by the time I was 11 years old, I had learned from my parents to keep my to keep my mean things on the inside. You know, if if you have something bad to say, go sit next to Theodore Roosevelt's daughter. You know what? This makes sense. And and that's and, true. And he, also, now, he doesn't, but he doesn't have parents. Now, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. the thing. But that's the thing is that his de facto parents failed him. Now, am I saying that but this is they, a good excuse? But the thing is, am I saying this they, is a good excuse to? curse a child into beastliness i want to i want to no. make an argument that they're not his de facto parents but i'm not sure whether or not they are because they just don't act like it and it could be because he has become a beast but that's the thing is they do they, but, they start acting like it once bell shows up no no no, no. lumiere is like his wingman the whole time <laughs> cogsworth no one listens to which I, including let's beast. be fair he's kind of terrible yeah. He's a good character, um, it's just he's just a terrible person. And Mrs. Potts, all she ever does, she is the perfect, um... Mom? She's not the perfect mom, she's like the perfect mom character. All she's ever doing is pouring tea and calling people dear. But that's the thing is, is they could have done more. And when Belle gets there, they do do more. More, I feel like, because she's empowering them to do more. Don't get me wrong, they're still not doing right. enough, but... And we could, we are going to have a discussion about whether or not they can actually grow as people since they cannot grow as people, okay. quote, quote. So, so here's, here's, um, but that's, we're not going to be there yet. So here's, we're not there yet. Here, we're yeah. going to get into we're, it. We're, we're still so early in the movie. We're in the first couple <laughs> so of seconds. So early in the movie. I, now, now the, I will. The movie has not actually started yet. We're in the prologue. I do want to go back though and say that you're right. The situation is so fucking ridiculous because yes, he's, it is he's bonkers. 11 years old. And and here's the thing about being an 11-year-old child is I'm a 21-year-old man and I don't know what love is. Like Woof, this getting heavy. In <laughs> no, I don't mean there's anything heavy. I mean just like like love is a very big I don't idea. Know what love oh is. my god, please stop. I, I will end will this podcast. It's the only line I know. This podcast has gone off the rails enough. If you start singing, I'm going to I'm going to turn it down. Here's the thing. Just one thing before we move on to the next scene. Yeah. This could have been saved instantly by explaining that she's an evil witch. That's all that's all I need to know. I You don't tell me she's the hero here. She's not that that She's not. I don't She's also a bad guy. The beast can't be a bad guy, and also there can be another bad guy. Cause I wanna go back to something earlier. Is like is that is to say that like love is a big idea. Love is a very big idea. And also a fairly recent invention in terms of human history. Oh my god, we can't get into the invention of love. I have many opinions on this, and it's <laughs> I know I find them all fascinating. But but yeah, and but but that's the thing is, is love is a big. It's a really big idea, the idea of love, and like, mm-hmm. and I feel like to tell a ten year old that they have to learn to do this big idea. By twenty one, which you're right, is insane. Because again, it's I'm, crazy. And maybe, maybe things were different in uh, in uh, seven in eighteenth century France, which I believe is around which I believe this movie takes place. Sure, probably. But 
I'm trying to figure out if they ever give a they don't indication they don't ever really is. give an exact like era, but but it feels to like again I've been playing uh Assassin's Creed Unity which again which I should point out not the most historically accurate thing to base anything no. on but their wardrobe is very close and from watching Lemise again not a good uh measure of historical accuracy. A revolution that closer, takes place a hundred years later, that that's that's a lot closer to to what they're wearing. Am I did I say that right? But yeah, so I think it takes place around Lemmy's in terms just because okay. just because of the way wardrobe looks, and also because like big old hunting guns exist. That's true. Which we'll, which Gaston's big old hunting guns. Which we will talk about Gaston's big old guns when we get to him. Starting strong there. So. Okay, so just so we're clear, when when Beast turns twenty one on his until his twenty first year, which I thought meant that the rose died on his birthday, but after watching the second movie and now think that it dies on New Year's. No, it's his uh, birthday. Until his, it's his birthday. I don't think it's his. No, birthday. it's his birthday. I don't think it's Tony. His birthday I am looking that... at the Wikipedia article right now. It's his birthday. Okay, I had a real issue with the fact that he died on his birthday after getting his heart broken. But he's not. But, he, but that's the thing is, <laughs> and I was so sad about that. But we're not there yet. So, okay, so wow, yeah, birthday, we're not fine. to the end of the movie. In, in that case, in that case, his birthday is pretty close to Christmas, and it's weird that he in the second. You know what? That's not important. We'll I, get to I feel it. like his birthday's probably around January or February. Yeah. Um. You know, which so then we get to what would that make him a Pisces? Before we're going to Bell. So Bell, uh, Bonjour. Oh, Bonjour is such a beautiful song. I believe it's actually called Bell. The song? Mm-hmm. I thought it was called Bonjour. Now they're all saying Bonjour to each other, but then they all start singing about Bell. How she's so weird. You're right. The song is called Bell. So Bell, uh. Bell is introduced through this very... It's quite a long musical number. It runs for a good amount mm-hmm. of time. Um, about five minutes. Yeah, that sounds right. And Where she's walking through town and everybody's saying hi to each other. Ex- you know what? Let me get into this a little all bit. All right, go for it. Hey, you know what? The the world is your oyster right now, man. Scream into Thank it. You. Is that what you do to oysters? You know, not important. Well, it's the, the myth that you like scream into a, a shell and you throw it into the sea. Oh, yes, I have heard that myth. So everybody's singing about how how strange she is because she's spending all her times with all her time with books and they don't seem that interested in it. And then she starts singing to sheep, so I kind of get it. But here's the thing that really gets me that I didn't notice any of the other times I've watched this movie. Everybody is saying hello to each other, but she doesn't talk to anybody who doesn't talk to her first. So if she would just do this simple thing, which is occasionally, in the first part, in the first half of the song, she's not reading a book anymore. She's finished. Yeah, she's making her way to the bookstore. Yeah, so if she would do this simple thing, which is just saying hello to people, they would probably, she probably would not be as much of an outcast. And do you know what? I am preaching what I cannot. But that's the thing. But that's the thing, though, is I live in a very small town. Um, myself mm-hmm. and and but the thing is is like bringing yourself to just say hello to people just by looking at them is is hard if you're if you're not into being social because 
uh, I don't know if I don't know about you, but I live in fear that one day I'll say hello to a random stranger and they're just gonna want to talk to me, which is like, no, that's not what the purpose of this hello is. The purpose of this hello is to just acknowledge your existence, make you feel good, and let me feel good and move on with my life. One time I went to Starbucks and the barista noticed me and then I moved to Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> but but the other thing is the way the way Belle is animated walking through town, it, it it seems to me like the reason she doesn't say hello to people isn't because she's so much introverted, but so much because she's she's always thinking about something. Like, her head is in the clouds. Because uh, she's... Mm. I don't know if you noticed this. I did. But she the way she's animated walking through town, she's always looking up and forward. She's never... Meanwhile, all the townspeople you... are always looking down at either at her or at their work. I did not notice that, but what I did notice is there's a great scene where she's reading her favorite book. Yeah. After she gets it from the bookshop. And she, there's water being poured out of a window into a drain pipe. Yeah. And she, one hand reading the book. Other hand. Smacks a sign so that the water flows down the sign instead of hitting her. Spider-Man life so she, reflexes. Yeah, so she's completely aware of what's going on around her, even though she does have her nose stuck in a book. But that's the thing, though, is is like when I'm when I used to read while walking, which is something I used to do. I never ran into anybody, and I never I never tripped over anything. So the thing about reading while walking is that you usually usually have peripheral vision, but it's pointed down. What she did was crazy. Again, yeah. Easily, she's a superhero. I think. Yeah, I've, that's that's our first indication. Do you think maybe her? Do you think maybe her dad like gave her a super soldier serum? He is like a crazy yes, inventor. Yes, I do think that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I went to look up her favorite book. I don't, I don't know if you did the same thing. I went to look up her favorite book because they showed the illustration, and I got curious. And there are two lines of thought. Apparently, nobody knows what the book's supposed to be, but. Most people think it's Sleeping Beauty, and some people think it might be Aladdin. Because it's supposed to take place in a far-off land, which people say, well, Aladdin's in a far-off land, Sleeping Beauty's also supposed to be in France. You know, I would I would lean towards the Aladdin part, because she mentions that the princess doesn't know that she met her true love until chapter 3. But in Sleeping Beauty, she meets her true love in the forest before she knows he's the prince. Yeah, but... In Aladdin, um, Jasmine realizes that she loves uh, that she loves Aladdin really early in the movie, like in terms of the climax, from what I remember. Because the movie, because then there's a lot more movie after that point. They have the thing about Aladdin, and we'll talk about this it's at then. Is I believe they're the first Disney characters to have a date. Yeah, they have like a meet, a meet cute, and then a date. And it's not, like, the best date ever. I mean, it's No, that's the thing. It's the best date ever, which is why it's still a little bit ridiculous, but it's not, like, um, how Ariel falls in love with Eric immediately yeah. with no lead-up. Stuff like that. So I just thought that was interesting. That's what people think. People think maybe Aladdin, maybe Sleeping Beauty. I, I'm leaning towards Aladdin, but also somebody wrote an article about this literally last year, so... Uh... It's up in the air. People still argue. I well, those people are dumb. I think it's obviously Aladdin. But anyway, whatever. I mean, I don't want to alienate. Wow, okay. I don't want to alienate all of those people. Listen, we're all entitled the to our fan theories. The, 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 the um, illustration is two white people, but there's a wall. Huh. Oh well. 
Maybe it was just a made-up song lyric. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> of course, you're, you're right. Why would it be? Why would it be a random song? Everything has everything behind it. <laughs> that. But the fact is, even if it is, even if it is just a made-up song lyric, lyric quote unquote, it is interesting to think about what the story could be. People, people like to say, "Oh, it's, she's reading her own story," but no, she's not. That doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, well. Not see for a long time. I thought that, but okay. So, so here's here's the thing about that uh, is is when we get to the second movie, I want to come back to that being ridiculous. I really do. So let's fucking do it. But first, we meet LeFou and Gaston. We meet LeFou and Gaston, and Gaston is a big guy with the world's smallest heart. I I have to say, like the the level of just intense raw hatred i have for his character hits me so quickly it's pretty fucking perfect because gaston unlike a lot of disney villains is not magically evil and his intentions are not that in at least in the beginning are not that crazy evil but we know immediately that this is the bad guy because he is needlessly cruel and let me talk for a for a moment you got it, man. About LeFou. LeFou. Because I'm sure you've read about this. I have and not. And it's stressing me out. LeFou is gay now? Oh, that's nice. Yeah, he's officially gay in the new movie. Well, I mean, he wrote an entire song about how awesome Gaston He did is. do that. It makes a lot of sense that he's gay. But Gaston hits him a lot. That's the thing. And it makes it look like they're relationship. in a one-sided abusive relationship where LeFou gives all the love and Gaston gives nothing back and LeFou cannot break himself from this terrible relationship. Oh, that makes me sad. And it's watching it with that watching it with that in mind it it was terrible every time he was on screen. The the thing is is and I did I did hear about this but the thing is is whether whether or not you think about this as a uh... As platonic or romantic love coming from LeFou to uh, Gaston, like that, the their their friendship is one of the most is like, uh, with the exception I think being um, the way Gaston treats Belle, mm-hmm. one of the most toxic things about this movie. Yeah. Well, here's 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 my other thought that I randomly had about it. What if LeFou is gay, and even though. You know how sometimes you know how this is going this is going to come off esoteric. You know how kids can know they're gay without knowing what that means. Kind of. And then you know how like other kids can know other kids are gay without knowing what that means because they just act slightly different. And so then those kids get beat up. Yeah. I was wondering what if LeFou there's there's another option here that LeFou is not in love with Gaston. Yeah. But has completely attached himself to Gaston as the biggest bully in town, and therefore nobody else is gonna pick on LeFou. So so you think it's kind of a kind of a I can take this abuse because I know that this is a lot better than the abuse I would have to take if I was just out by myself. Yeah. Yeah. That well, way to make that sadder. Everything all of my fan theories about LeFou and his sexuality are terrible. I mean, but that's the thing, though, is is, is that there's no way they can really be good because, like, LeFou... LeFou himself is kind of a... Is kind of... I don't want to say 
he's not he's not a terrible person. He's just blindly loyal, which is a bad trait. Yeah, to he's have. A, you shouldn't. Like, he's pretty much the perfect sidekick character, you know. Yeah, he's attached at the hit to this guy who has all these evil plans and it just likes killing things and treats women like objects. Oh, so much. So, and before we get into that, though, um, I thought we got there, into it there, a lot. There, there, there is there is a big moment in uh, in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, mm-hmm. First, okay, actually, let me roll back. Gaston, the first time we're introduced to him, points a gun at Belle. Oh my god, he does! And and he's just like, LeFou, I'm going to marry that hot piece of ass. He points a gun at her. Like, what the fuck, dude? That gun's probably loaded. I don't no, know. It's definitely He could have killed her. It's definitely loaded. You're right, he's a fucking asshole. He just, is... He that is, is so crazy! He, it, It's established that he is wildly um, irresponsible with that gun. Though. Irresponsible, easily. Like, that gun goes off during his song segment, like, eight times. Mm-hmm. He shoots a... Indoors. He shoots a barrel of beer with it, which made me realize that he must own the pub. And that's... That's a... That's a hunter's, like, shotgun. Yeah, it's a... It's bus. huge, yeah. It would have destroyed Belle. Yeah, she would have been molecules. It would have been molecules and the beast had he accidentally pulled that trigger. Like... That would not have been a good movie. I wouldn't watch it. No, it would not. Me neither. Anyway, yeah, that's terrible. I didn't realize that until you said it. I, I I will say that I didn't realize this either. Me and a buddy of mine were watching a bunch. We were watching a bunch of cracked videos the other day, and they brought it up, and I was like, "Holy shit, that did happen. That's insane." Yeah. Okay. That's like add that crazy. to the list of things that make Gaston an awful person. That's so subtle. I've watched that movie so many times, and just the fact that he uses a gun as a pointer is already enough to immediately hate him. Yeah. So. After after Belle gets home from this long foray into town, long mm-hmm. foray into town, she we meet her dad, who's this well, kind of... Uh... Let, let me pause for a second. This is not very important, but it's something I find kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, the townspeople judge Belle not by her yes. books, but by who she is as a weirdo. That's fine. Gaston judges her completely by her looks and is totally wants and totally wants to bone down. And she deftly got out of Dodge and got back home. I just want to make that clear before we go on. The big thing, oh, the other thing I want to say about Gaston is it seems like every time, every time he's going to go talk to Belle, it's like he's not looking at her because he's always looking at something else and the, the camera's always... Reflection. Yeah, or either his own reflection or just gesturing towards his own self. Like, yeah. like it's like he does it, like... Like, not only does he treat her as an object for him to have, but he doesn't even give her the time of day when he talks to her. He mm-hmm. talks over her and doesn't really look at her. Like, and so every time, every time she talks to him and, and tells him something he doesn't want to hear, that's usually the only time Gaston makes eye contact with her as if to say, are you, are you rejecting me? Yeah. And that's like, it's so fucked up. So uh, Belle makes... So Belle makes her makes her way home, and her dad is this kind of uh, well-meaning, but definitely kind of got a couple screws loose in the head inventor. And he's uh, like a Doc Brown character. Yeah, like the hair and everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's he's putting together this big invention for some sort of like uh, fair. Yeah. Uh, to present. Uh, I guess what a... what? It's a wood chopping machine. 
Yeah, and it it works, and that's pretty cool. It'll cut down on chores, I guess. All you have to do is cut down the tree, and the and the thing will take care of itself after that. That's pretty cool. I, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to say that this takes place before the first revolution, before the okay. uh, Francis first revolution, just because industrialism isn't really a thing, and inventing a machine to solve your problems would be seen as fucking insane before yeah. the age of industrialism. So, all right, boom. Now that I've got that tangent of thinking done with. Let me say something about this machine, too. Bell walks in and gives him a little pep talk and tells and tells him that he can fix his machine in time for the fair. And he does it, and that's great. And while he's doing it, she tells him that she had kind of a hard time at when she went into town, and she asks if she's weird. And this is, this is a good father-daughter bonding moment. However... I yeah. really wished while I was watching it that she would pick up a wrench and tighten a few screws. <laughs> she doesn't need to fix the whole thing. It doesn't need to be, oh, no, secretly she's the smarts. But we've established that she basically just hangs out with her dad and nobody else. She should have some interest in his interest. I think it would round her out just slightly more. And also, I think it's important to have female heroes who also have an interest in engineering. I just think that's important <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can easily see that. the The big thing I think that I would uh, I would say about Bell's dad is that he he is very well meaning, and and we'll see that later. And he he really does want what's best for his daughter at the end of the day, and I think is willing is willing to support that even if he doesn't quite know what it is that his daughter wants. The funny thing about that is, once he does know what she wants, there's no argument. He wants what she wants. He doesn't necessarily want what he thinks would be best for her. He wants whatever she wants, which we only see in that um, in the mob scene. But, you know, we'll get there. I, also, this is a random thought. We don't necessarily have to discuss it now because this is something that will go in depth into actually a lot of movies. But I've noticed I noticed while watching this that boy heroes have mothers and girl heroes have fathers. This is a trend I never noticed before. I've noticed this as well, and it's one and the the trend is one of the biggest reasons why I don't want Luke to be Ray's dad. Oh, because you don't want girl. I don't as a want father. yeah, and not only that, but because she also has a father. She also had a father figure. Spoiler alert: He's fucking dead now. And all right, I see. <laughs> I, I'm mad about that for reasons that have nothing to do with this podcast. But but one thing I will say about another thing I'll say about Bell's dad is is when when Bell mentions that she has no one to talk to, he brings up Gaston, and when she mentions she doesn't like him, he immediately is like, well then, fuck this town. This machine's gonna let us move on. Yeah. And I'm just like, what a cool That's dude. Great. Like, Yeah. He doesn't say, oh, you should get to know him better. He knows that his daughter is smart. And she, from what I can tell, she probably interacts with the town more than he does, because the town seems to refer to him as just that guy who... Crazy old Maurice... Yeah, like, one of the reasons she's odd is because nobody knows what it is her dad does. Yeah, it's not clear. I, I, no, they have, they have like, a little farm. I was going to say it's not clear how they make money, but she, she's got farm animals. Uh, they have pigs and some, some stuff. Yeah, goats and junk. Chickens. After this scene, we, fo we follow Maurice, who is on his way to the fair, and he gets lost in the forest. And Yeah, and I'm going to sidetrack us. I believe this is the last definite sort of off the rails sidetrack everything else <laughs> pertains to the story pretty much perfectly but <laughs> this fun. one is 
how come the peasants don't know about this castle? Isn't it the Beast's kingdom? It's only been ten years. What do they think happened to the royal family? So here's the thing. I don't think that this is the Beast's kingdom. He's called the Prince. Is it like his summer home? Or, I mean, well, his winter home. So so that's the big thing, is that uh, is is in France, apparently, they have, like, thousands of just fucking palaces and louvres built all over the countryside that they can fuck off to when they don't want to be in Paris. Okay, maybe the prince has parents, and they have been ruling this whole time while their son has become a beast and never came back from his Christmas-slash-birthday trip to their other castle. But but that's the other thing is, is if he's their youngest son, they wouldn't give a shit about him. He's not in line for the and throne. And that's never made clear, because we never get to see what happens after he transforms. Yeah, but he's never... he He's obviously never with his parents, and they obviously don't care about him if he, got, if he grew up such a little shit. Entitled fuck. Possible that they're dead. Possible that they're dead, but if... If, say, he's the youngest of, like, a group of brothers who who are in line for the throne and he just fucked off they wouldn't care either because hey if he's dead that means less competition for us and if he isn't he's not bothering us maybe it's even simpler maybe his brother is king like he had a brother who's king and then this prince disappeared and hey the king didn't bother looking for him yeah because why would you because who yeah because who cares this is one more person not about to assassinate me and and that's the other thing is is if if there is a royal palace somewhere near your peasant farm, you're not going to go near it because that's that that fucking land belongs to somebody willing to kill you and your family. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it seems, from what I can tell, that castle's pretty far away. Like it takes several minutes. It's so hard to tell. Bell gets there so fast later. Well, that's the thing though is Bell is on Bell Bell is on raw horseback. At full sprint. Right, which is different or than gallop, towing something. Which is different than towing something and is different than being in a mob marching on it, which I also got there pretty slowly. Okay, yeah. All right, I'll buy that. Maurice ends up at the castle attacked, being attacked by wolves. I'm glad we went off on that tangent. I like that conversation. <laughs> I, I like having that cleared up in my own head. No, I understand. Maurice makes it to the castle. His horse, however, Philippe does not, and Philippe actually runs off, and we later find out back to the house. That's the great thing about horses. If you lose your car, it's not going to show up back home. The horse will do that, though. Okay, so let me let me tell you right now, as somebody who has owned horses, that is not true at all. Hor- horses are actually pretty fucking stupid. You know what, Andy? Let me fucking have this, you piece I will of say, crap. I will say... I will say that the reason they won't come back isn't because they don't know where you are. It's because if they find somewhere else to be that they think is better, they'll stay there. And also, and also, horses are pretty fucking expensive. So if your horse runs away, somebody will find it and it will be and their horse. It. Yeah. Maurice goes into this castle. In there he finds, uh, well, he doesn't find, but is found by uh, Lumiere and Cogsworth, who uh, kind of don't. What, uh, Cogsworth wants to wants to kick him out. Lumiere wants to invite him in. Lumiere, it's it's definitely said later, is fucking bored and wants company. He wants to show off, feel like a person again. So he invites this guy in. He lights a fire. Mrs. Potts pours him tea. The freaking dog has a footrest now, which is crazy that the dog 
was part of this curse. Oh by my the way. god. Yeah, that But again, and we like will get to, to this later. Dog? Now the dog's immortal. So that's not so bad. I guess uh, yeah, I would rather leave the dog as an immortal footrest because A, it's a dog, it doesn't give a shit. But B It was so into being a footrest. It, yeah, and but B, it's immortal. You have an immortal dog. Immortal dog, that's so rad. That's the best gift in the world because dogs aren't immortal and dogs dying is like on the top 10 saddest things that can happen in a movie. And if you disagree with us about the dog being immortal, stay tuned because there is a rant coming up. And man, I had it I I waited to write it down to the perfect part of the movie. So we'll get there. So we'll get there. And then so, it turns out that the beast didn't learn his lesson about letting people in from storms. Or possibly he did. It's here's the thing is I think I think this curse made him worse. Like it made him shut himself off from the rest of the world. The people around him. All right, you know what? Fuck it. I'm I'm starting into this a little bit now. Yeah, because the people around him are are afraid of him. They're they're deathly afraid of him. They're deathly afraid of him. I'm gonna fucking do this, Chip. Chip was a maybe like six to eight years old. We never really learn his age when he was turned into a cup. A cup. When they were both children, they probably played together. And Chip may have even been being groomed to be his servant or something. You know, like his personal servant. Yeah, or a whipping boy or whatever. Then, yeah, or whipping boy. You know, it doesn't need to be servant. Um, then, <laughs> I'm so mad that that's where you went. Then, she <laughs> turns into a cup. And this must have been terrible for the 11-year-old beast. But... What must have been more terrible is figuring out that his friend was not aging. I cannot imagine. But that's the thing, though, is it's it's not just Chip. Th- that's, that's the thing. I cannot imagine the amount of psychological torture that this, that this revelation brought to him. His friends and family, these people who are around him his whole life, are basically gone so that these weird stand-ins can be here. And he's stuck living with these people forever because he cannot leave this castle because he is a monster. And that, but that's the, the, my biggest thing about this is it's not just Chip. There's an entire cupboard full of teacups who are also children. Well, we're gonna, that's gonna, that's another conversation that I want to have later. Um... (laughs) But 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 that's the thing though is, is is it's very obvious that this curse for the last ten years has not been wor- about ten, about nine to ten years has not been working because because the beast has become more reclusive he's become more terrible to his servants he refuses to socialize in any way and mm-hmm. at the sight of a of a string at, at the sight of what seems to be the first visitor this castle has had in a decade in ten years yeah he immediately distrusts him throws him into a dungeon and refuses to give him even the basic, the most base form of care. So what I was wondering, I saw that and I thought, oh, I guess he didn't learn his lesson about letting people in from storms. And then I thought, maybe he's learned the lesson that he should let people in from storms and lock them up so that they can't fucking Fucking curse him. him. Like maybe now he knows that this asshole isn't going to curse him because then he's never getting out. So he, he throws Maurice into a dungeon and that's, and that's all we see of him. Yeah, it's the end of the um, scene. And and I would I would like to say though, like props to Disney's animation department because we do not get to see the beast yet. We we see we see shadow, we see uh hints of what he could look like. 
and, and very horror movie-esque. We get a hint, a taste of what's to come, but we don't get the full satisfaction of seeing the beast yet. It's pretty great, yeah. And he's and in this first part, he is walking around on all fours, making him more beastly. More beastly. And so we cut back to um, the town, I believe, at this point. In the town, Gaston and LeFou are... Can I apologize right now? I'm going to apologize right now for trying to pronounce these names in French. I took French classes. I have a basic understanding of how to pronounce French words, and I know it's wrong, but I can't stop myself. Let's everybody give Andy a little bit of a break, huh? But the reason is, is because Gaston... Gaston is a fun name to say when you're saying it with it with a French accent, because then it Gaston. becomes Gas- Gaston, which is the best. Okay. I would also like to point out at this point, though, that the people acting in this movie, if you're a villager in France, you have a fucking bare-ass American accent. But if you work for the Prince of France, who also has a bare-ass American accent, you have the thickest, most you have fucking the, the stereotypical heavy. French accent. Yes, lay it on thick i didn't i didn't think about that but you're absolutely right and everybody in the castle has a french accent but nobody outside does of the castle has a french accent i was and the reason i'm pointing this out is because when i started playing assassin's creed unity everyone was speaking in british accents and at one point i heard an and at one point i heard an irish accent and i opened the menu of the game went to options and it turns out they have a fully voiced french french recordings the whole game fully voice acted in french i switched it to french turned on english subtitles and the game is so much better i'm glad you said that because i half thought you were going to say and they all had english accents (laughs) (laughs) oh i would have been even madder because the, the people who make assassin's creed are based in quebec which is french canada and mm. in france which is french america which is french the world which is I, was french say, america. I was gonna say french america you uh, piece of shit hey you know what we gave them the revolution no, idea no, they might as well okay. be part of us this is not okay no this is okay because we gave them the whole revolution idea and they ran with it they then kind of made it their own weird thing france i am so sorry for this guy you know what, France? We're blood brothers. They get me. They're like, yeah. No, they're not. Didn't Which you say French... you hate Paris? I hate Paris. Can we get on but to, to be fair, whatever Gaston and LeFou were doing? I do, I do love the rest of France. So, Gaston and, Lefe- Gaston and LeFou are spying on Belle. Already a bad thing to do. Although I understand the urge. <sighs> I guess... I understand the urge when you're into somebody, and especially not if you're like Gaston, but more like if you're like the Beast, the idea that you just sort of want to watch them before you have to go and actually talk to them. I think everybody has that. I I don't, but that's mostly just because I don't like being watched. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. I have a very grave fear of being watched, but that's just me. Like I understand that I'm the guy on the outside of this. I think a lot of people don't like being watched. I think when you are into somebody, it's hard not to watch them. Now, whether or not you should be watching them through the window of their house yeah, is see, a that's... different question. But that's the thing is, is like not so. So the and as as fucked up or not fucked up it is for mm-hmm. Gaston to be stalking and spying on this woman. The camera then cuts to the answer is it depends on how into him she is. 
Like if she likes him and he's spying on her, then it's it's cute still hella later. creepy though. I wanna I wanna really clarify though. Don't don't stalk people in real You're life. You're absolutely right. Don't do it. I was talking in movie terms. Oh, <laughs> so but no, I don't want to encourage movies to keep doing this plot point because I've always found it super creepy whenever a character stalks another character, but it's okay because they're both into each other. No, it's not okay because in real life, I'll never know. It's not worth the risk, guys. Don't stalk people. That's how you get arrested. The more you know. But here's the actual creepy thing is the okay. camera then cuts to a full fucking wedding. <laughs> yeah, it does. That was bonkers. That is the, like, epitome of just insanity. Mm-hmm. Like, before he even asks her to marry him, a woman he's never met, he's never really met or knows anything about, by the way. Right. They have, you're kind of given the idea that they know each other because he immediately honed in on her because she was pretty and she seems to be pretty, already pretty adept at ignoring this moron. Yeah. So they know each other, but they don't, like, it seems like she already knows everything about him that she ever needs to know, and he knows literally nothing about her. He does not even understand how you read a book without picture. Oh, also, this whole scene tells you that he knows literally nothing about her. He literally knows nothing about her, especially because he walks into her house. Well, A, he pushes his way into her house. She opens the door without the intent of letting him in and she Mm. and he just pushes his way through but as he's talking to her like like this is again like bringing it back to the beginning of the movie he's talking over her everything she says he either ignores or deflects like no what you want isn't fucking important it's what i want that matters Mm -hmm. i'm the person who matters only me and then he puts his boots on her book yeah which he's been all over this book since it appeared it's her favorite book yeah he's not getting any points in her book for in her book for that (laughs) i'm gonna stop saying that word now and then she takes no he does he take off his boots or does she take off his boots he takes off his boots yeah i thought i for a second i thought maybe she takes off his boots so he doesn't get mud on her book he takes off his boots to reveal his nasty ass feet and like waves them in her face this whole scene is bonkers it's here and 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 to get even crazier again a woman he doesn't really know personally has a wedding planned outside and his Mm -hmm. starting line his intro into you know what into asking this random woman to marry him a random dude is you know what would be great having six kids with me now anyone out there I want you to I want you to just imagine or I want you to go out and try going up to a random woman don't do this, by the way. Don't actually don't, do this. Don't do this. No, I have to veto. <laughs> yeah, I realized. I realized right now. I don't want to encourage this behavior. Actually, I don't. So I'll, go go to a friend of yours then and ask them the hypothetical question and really stress that it's hypothetical. <laughs> by the way, if we had six kids, yes. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that would be horrifying. As horrifying as as the question is. Uh-huh. But yeah, like I like just go to your friends, ask them. Hey, hypothetically speaking, um, if somebody were to guest on like <laughs> already not good, come up to you and ask you if you would like to have six kids with them, you're you're pretty much gonna get a fuck no every time. I really hope you get a fuck no every time. I don't want to meet the person who's into that. That's scary. <laughs> That's like a different level of scary. The idea that somebody would say yes to that is is depressing to me. Yeah. 
Anyway, we're bringing it down a little bit, so let's bring it back up. It's a wedding. <laughs> Belle, it not only uh, completely, not only does she completely like turn him down, yeah, deftly rejects him. She says, "I'm not good enough for you." As she trips him out the door, pushes him. She, he kind of pushes himself. Was he going in for a kiss? I can't remember. Something like that. Yeah, okay, that must have been it. And he just falls out the door into a puddle of mud with some pigs, and she throws the bo- his boots out after him and slams the door shut. And then he beats LeFou. Yeah, easily. And again, they have the worst relationship. Cartoon violence is funny, I get it. But, <laughs> but when you start thinking about cartoon characters as people, it becomes horrifying. It's people, that's the thing, that's the thing. When somebody said, oh, LeFou's gay, I thought, oh, okay, LeFou's gay, that makes sense. And then I started watching it, and I was thinking about him not as a cartoon character, but as a human person with thoughts and feelings and, des- and desires. And I was like, oh shit, this is terrible. So then, uh, as Belle is kind of just sitting in her study, uh, kind of, kind of just like talking to herself um, while she's doing chores around the house, she's kind of just no. Like, I think she sings like a bell reprise. You know, she goes like, "Monsieur Gaston, uh, she, can you imagine she, Monsieur Gaston, his little wife?" And she gets pissed about it, and she starts singing me. his his bit of the bell song. No, sir, I guarantee it. Yeah, she she did sing it. Um, okay, and that's my that's my bad. It's super not. I did not need to get completely hung up about it. <laughs> <laughs> the bell song is bell. Like, there's a reason it's called bell. It's because this is what she wants. She wants more than just living in a small town. Mm-hmm. She doesn't know what she wants yet, but she knows she doesn't want to be here. Yeah, and it's pretty clear, I thought, from from the tone of the movie that nobody else wants this because nobody else is educated. And she's she reads and she knows about this bigger world and wants to be part of that. Or at least be... Well, I'll get into this later. So at this point, Philippe does, uh, does run into, uh, into the house and she walks out and she's like, what happened to my dad? Like, where's my dad? Is everything all right? Um, I think she has, she actually calls him Papa, which is nice. She she does call him Papa. And Philip is still towing the wagon at this point. Yes, he so has she, to be. He has to be towing the wagon because it's important for the invention to get back home. Yeah. So so he's he, so she unhooks the wagon and like jumps onto the horse and immediately is like, "Fine, take take me to him." She says, "Take me to him." That's what she. Yeah, says. take me to my dad. So we cut to we cut to Belle kind of arriving to the castle on this horse. It should be explained, no wolves. Philippe did not seem to have a problem coming down this way this time. I guess they moved on, but they're gonna come back. That's the that's the thing about wolves in this part of the town and this part of the woods is they seem to migrate around, which real wolves actually do. Yeah. They also seem to be starving. Because man will they go after people fast. So I so uh maurice kind of starts freaking out when when they finally get to the castle gates and Belle's kind of just like well all right calm down i'll i'll make my way in no no no, no. maurice is her dad philippe sorry the horse's name philippe so Belle makes her way into the castle and we kind of get a a reprise of uh of the earlier scene where she's being spied on by these uh other um beings in the castle but specifically the first person who sees her is chip Oh, yes, there's a girl in the castle. And what's interesting in this scene, which I really like 
for tone and setup is Cogsworth and Lumiere do not reveal themselves. Yeah, this time they, uh... They, they like, move around and they're quiet and they're subtle. And it might be because she's a girl and suddenly there's a girl which raises this idea of, hey, maybe, maybe she's a fun. And so that's, that's an issue. Maybe it's because they just got basically attacked by their master for letting somebody wander in and they're trying to make themselves scarce. It's not clear, but they do lead her to her dad. Yeah, they, they do lead her to her father. And um, when, when she gets to her dad and this, this to me is, is like, is her dad being the ultimate dad because he is immediately like, you have to go. I, I, we can't talk about this. You need to leave right the fuck now. But unfortunately, um, she, he, she, uh, he, she, his, she's too, like, Belle's too inquisitive for her own good. And not only that, she cares about his, her father just as much as yeah, she cares about her. About her. And so she, she absolutely refuses to leave. And at this point, the beast reveals himself. Well, not reveal, does, doesn't reveal himself. Yeah, not quite. The master of the house enters. This is this is really the first time we get full spoken dialogue from him, and and I really really quickly want to talk about the beast's voice because it is fantastic. Like it is the right mixture of like gravelly and animalistic to to really, but but at the same time he manages to to through all that really pour emotion into a lot of his lines that I feel like a lot of people wouldn't be capable of in a similar role. Yes, and there are points, there are points, this doesn't happen right now, there are points later where he loses some of that sort of growliness. He always has it, but where he loses it just a little bit to to convey stuff like surprise. And it's, it's so interesting to listen to. And the, the reason I want to bring this up is because if, you've ever, if you ever watch a movie where somebody has to put on a thick, gravelly, monstrous voice... Mm-hmm. you lose you lose a lot of emotion when that happens i think i think the biggest the biggest example i could think of i can think of off the top of my head uh is from a movie you refuse to watch is bane from the dark knight rises because um oh, do you mean that he loses a lot of emotion or that you cannot actually understand anything he says uh they 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 redid the lines so that you can understand him better but but yeah like like they're there's no subtlety in in acting in that in that role. It's all this big theatrical gesturing and yelling and shouting because uh, Tom Hardy, it seems, can't can't do subtle acting, and he can do subtle acting in other movies, but but doing this voice, he seems incapable. So he he brings this character to life by overacting it, which would have absolutely ruined the Beast character if that if they tried the same thing here. The beast, yeah, the beast needs to be subtle in a lot of ways. And I have, and like, just again, this is this is all just voice acting. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff that the animators do to give him character. Definitely, a million little things and big things, but you know. But basically, after a quick uh, kind of talking, um, they agree that uh, Maurice would be allowed to leave if Bell agrees to be. Uh, a prisoner in her father's place and her father is sick he is coming down with a cold or the flu and she doesn't she doesn't even think about it that's not true that's not true she asks him to come into the light and then 
when she has when she has seen when she has in her mind established all of the pros and cons of this then she doesn't think about it once she knows what she's getting into absolutely she's all about it but the thing is is as soon as she accepts beast immediately is like all right this is this is what's happening and she throws her dad out of the house without any this is yes this is his just she's she says herself she doesn't get to say goodbye he picks up her dad okay here's something i'm not okay with throws him into a living carriage that i have to believe used to be a horse but yeah, now I think so. moves like a spider. Spider. That was really fucking creepy. And he can't get out until they get home, I guess. I don't even think it gets that far. I think that carriage gets to like the edge of town, throws him up onto the street and leaves because the next time we see him, he's oh, crashing into so the bar. Home. Yeah. So but yeah, but the the the, the and and Bell does say like I you didn't even get give me a, let me uh, say goodbye to my own dad and I I think that that's the first time we see the beast act like a person because he realizes like oh fuck yeah he's made a mistake he got he got greedy or eager or hasn't talked to anybody a real person in ten years and <laughs> has suddenly realized that people can have emotions other than fear. I want to I want to say that one of my favorite things about Belle as a character is that she she's willing to express whatever emotion she's feeling at that time but not fear. She never she's never afraid. She's she can be she's always either sad, happy or angry, um but she's never afraid of anything. And that's very constant throughout the movie. And I think it's important. So, I'm just going to mention this. In this movie, it goes from autumn to winter. I'm only mentioning this because of the next movie, and I'm establishing a timeline. Yeah, because the the movie feels like it takes feels like it takes place over the course of a couple of days, or a couple of or several months. Sorry, several days or several months. Yeah, like weeks. I don't know. It's not clear to me. It feels like the amount of personal growth that these two people had to go through would have taken at least weeks. But the time that they spend in the castle feels so much different to the time, to the amount of time passing back home. I don't know. Like, they're, they're, a big part of that could be, like, maybe the curse influences time. But I don't want to get into that because that already sounds stupid. <laughs> Holy fuck would we not be able to. We go all night. It would be absurd. Yeah. Could, in fact, could we just not have introduced that idea <laughs> maybe the curse does influence time but i don't i don't know this is an okay thing to start up on um so we get so here's now the, the next couple of lines are my favorite because this is when this is when beast gets to shine as a character because he the moment he is alone with this girl, he is he is utterly incapable of doing anything. He has no idea what to do. I believe it's Lumiere because it's, uh, it's always Lumiere because usually Lumiere who goes. You know, she probably like a better bedroom, and he drags her off to the bedroom. And then and then Lumiere also is like, "You should say something to her," and he's just like, oh, I, uh, 
I hope you like it here. Yeah, and he <laughs> says, my favorite bit, something... I, I said my favorite bit, but it's not... It's just something big that I remember from my childhood is Lumiere says, invite her to dinner. And then he immediately goes, you're coming to dinner! And he actually says, yeah, this is not a request. And this is when... That's that's the moment that Bella allows herself, after he's gone, she allows to herself to cry. Yeah. And that's important because it makes a lot of sense for her to cry. Never cry in front of the guy that's making you cry. We cut back to Gaston. Uh, yeah, he's inside do. of his tavern. And this is this is where we get the big the big Gaston musical number uh, that LeFou seems to have written himself. I will never get over the fact that when LeFou gets a whole bar to sing a drinking song, about how great Gaston is. Gaston interrupts to sing about his own decorating skills. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite thing, because if you listen to the lines in the song, it's absurd. What is it doing in there? But no, it's because he wanted everybody to notice the fact that he uses antlers in all of his decorating. <laughs> this whole musical number is is ridiculous and fantastic it's really good it it's is, very catchy it's, it's it's very well animated as i well. was gonna say it's one of the best songs in the movie but that's not even quite true because i don't think there's a bad song in this movie there isn't there's not really a second tier song they even, all kind of and even the song that they put into this movie later just flows and fits so naturally and is as good. I absolutely disagree. Are we talking You don't about like Human Again? Human Again? I'll tell you why I hate that song. Why? It was a show I it's a show-stopping number. Yeah. It's a show-stopping number that happens right before the main song, Beauty and the Beast. Why the hell are we stopping the show right before Beauty and the Beast? Because it cuts right into this next scene where they're dancing together. That's absurd. No, I I still really like it, though. Because without it, like, like so, we're not there yet. When we get there, we'll get there. Okay, yeah. We can, we can, yeah, all right, that's fine. I also, it's just one thing. I just didn't like how it was obviously added later because they obviously took pains to make sure that the characters that nobody cared about when they first wrote this movie were in this song which is the maid and the whatever the wardrobe woman used to be they're in the song even though they have like three lines in the actual movie and yeah no and nobody cares <laughs> so the the big thing though that i want to talk about when it comes to uh, uh gaston's musical number is fuck this town fuck this town this Fuck this town so hard. I hate this town already. This town is a piece of shit town. This whole okay, town is this. enabling is enabling this guy to be the worst he could possibly be. They talk up all this big game about this about about this dude, and literally his whole deal is I'm the biggest, strongest, most popular guy in town, and because of that, I deserve whatever I want. And the town agrees. Yeah, and they even say stuff like they they get into, they get into like a manly fight and 
they're talking about how he's biting during the fight and he's cheating at chess and like all this stuff that's like not good stuff but they're fine with it they enjoy it or they're kissing out to him because they're all afraid of him it's not i'm not quite clear on it but 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 at the end of the day they're they're enabling him to be a horrible monster mm-hmm. and but like and I, I really, said, I'm pretty sure he owns the bar, so I get it. And 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 the reason this matters to me is because that means that who Gaston is, is the person the Beast could have become. Yeah, I he think is, that's actually, I think that's an important theme. He's surrounded by people who, who do nothing to change him from being this toxic, uh, abusive personality. Mm-hmm. He's never been said no to. He He always gets his way. And he's awful. He's terrible. And it's infuriating to watch, to see a whole town so infatuated with such a monstrous person. And then, Maurice comes into the bar, begs everybody to help him, because there's a a beast that captured his daughter, and they throw him out into the snow. Nobody gives gives it a second thought. Nobody gives a rat's ass about him. Except for Gaston. Who says his? Who says my favorite line in the whole goddamn movie? LeFou, I'm afraid I've been thinking. And then LeFou <laughs> answers, "A dangerous pastime." And then Gaston says, <laughs> "I know. I love that." And they hatch a plan to blackmail Belle by making her father seem crazy. They think he's crazy, but they also know that he's not. They call him a hard, a harmless crackpot. They know that he's not crazy enough to end up in the asylum, which at this point in time would have been fucking terrible. So that's so being usually in this time period, the only reason you would be thrown into an asylum is because. Uh, you're a woman who talks back to dudes and... Yeah, you're obviously hysterical, and there's a problem unquote. with your uterus, lady. Yeah, if if you were a girl and you were too big, and you were too too big on reading, or being independent, or not liking dudes, or saying no to your dad, off to the asylum with you, where they would drive you insane if you weren't crazy by the time you got there. Also, if you had syphilis. Also, if you had syphilis. Well... A lot of people had syphilis, and they went cuckoo. They want cuckoo bananas. A lot of people had syphilis, which is why not really, because... Basically, everybody had a crazy aunt in their um, in their attic, and at some point, sometimes somebody would want to clean out their attic, and the aunt would go to an asylum. Yeah, well, usually because they had to put another younger aunt in there. <laughs> I want to say something here. Despite everything that Gaston has done so far, he hasn't really done anything worse than the Beast has done. So he could have been the hero in this story if he had believed Maurice. Well, no, because at the end of the day, he's still... The only way Gaston can be the hero of this story is if he undergoes a dramatic change and actually starts... uh, Like, here's the thing. No, because the traumatic change that Gaston has to go through is treating Belle as a person. Well, the movie's kind of about going through a dramatic change. But that's the thing, though, is the is 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 the dramatic change that the beast goes through is learning to care about Belle as a person. It's just that I'm not saying it would have made it a good movie. 
I'm. It, it would have been a very bad movie had this happened. It would have been a worse movie. But Gaston, it would have been a terrible movie. But this is the turning point in Gaston's personal story. If he had believed Maurice, he could have gone and saved Belle from the Beast. And instead, he decides basically not to question why she's not home? Even though he just heard this story about her being kidnapped? Because, and again, because it's because he's completely involved only with himself. He doesn't actually care about her as a person. You're absolutely right. So we cut back to the castle and Belle is still kind of just like mucked up about the whole situation she seems to have put herself in. But it seems to me that the, the saddest thing that the thing that's making her just I think I think the, the reason she's crying isn't because she is kidnapped. It's because she won't see her father again. She was pretty okay. She, I think she's probably pretty okay with being kidnapped because her town suh. And this is a cool magic castle. So that's 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 great. But but yeah, but the the fact that she's never going to see her father, who is the only person in her life. But the other thing is period. is is she mentions like that her dreams are that she's lost her dreams. Like and her dreams. Right. Her dream was to leave the town, but her dream was to leave the town to go to a bigger city to see the world. To have an adventure. She wanted to leave the town on her own terms, basically. Yeah, to go see the world, and instead she's locked up in this tower. It is kind of a worse situation in its own way, because now she can't leave. She's incapable of making that decision. So she's got, she sneaks out to go get some food because she has skipped dinner, and the Beast, the, the beast had, again... A great moment. I love this moment. Where if it's the moment you're talking about. He started super angry about why she didn't come to dinner. She tells him she wasn't <laughs> hungry. Lumiere talks him down to saying <laughs> please and being polite. And she still doesn't want to come to dinner because she just fucking got kidnapped. So the beast just fucking loses it again and says you don't eat unless you eat with me and storms off. So the first time she says no, he like he like points at the door and is just like, "You see what I have to deal with?" Like face and I'm like and I'm just sitting here like, "Dude, you really don't understand who has the worst end of the stick right now." He, he, well, he doesn't fucking get it and I under Here's the thing. I completely empathize with him because he does not know how human interaction works anymore. He doesn't he has it's no been empathy. so long. He hasn't been with somebody his own age since he was 10. And it's just, it's, it's great. But anyway, there's this, there's this point that I want to, I want to mention. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Because it's evidence that the servants cannot have not matured at all since they became objects. Lumiere is trying to fuck a feather duster. Neither of them have anything to work with, but both of them are totally into it. They're doing something behind that curtain. I think they want to do something behind that curtain. But they cannot because they got nothing. They're objects. Ah, but they I can't stop themselves from trying because they have not changed. Since yeah, they're they both still into... young, virile uh, house workers. I am. Can I? Can I say I am so excited to watch the live action version because Lumiere saw... is played by Ewan McGregor, and Ewan McGregor is hot. Yeah, I saw. Um... I saw this huge, like, long Tumblr post about people tearing into the dress. And they're like, oh, Emma Watson designed it herself. And she obviously didn't know what she was doing. And and they, she used, she used like, glue to get the designs instead of real stitches. And it was like, 
this what I learned from that was that this woman who I have been impressed by since I was seven that this woman who I've been impressed by since I was seven also made her own dress for this movie that I don't know if you knew this I she didn't demanded know that. to be in she demanded to be in this movie they offered her Cinderella and she said no fucking way I'm doing Beauty oh and the Beast. my god I love her I don't know. I, obvious, obviously, I put a little bit of strain on it, but that no, happened, apparently. I, I can I can imagine Emma Watson storming into a Disney executive meeting and being like, uh, I'm doing Beauty and the Beast, and, and that's final. And designed her own fucking dress. Which looks even, amazing. Like, I don't know what the, the fuck these people are talking about. That's the thing. The dress is amazing. And even if it was terrible, that would still be the coolest thing ever. So are we going to get off on a live-action movie tangent? Because it sounds like that's what we're doing, and I'm into that. But otherwise, we can talk about Be Our Guest. In order to cheer up Belle, all of the uh, furniture uh, led by Lumiere and uh, Cogsworth decide to throw a dinner party for Belle. I have a, I have a sub-theory to my other theory. When all the servants became objects, the objects also became servants. This is my reasoning for this. Lumiere sings and dances with other candlesticks, with like a billion plates, with glasses and forks. There's no way that this building held all those people. Oh, this so is a great it would segue. make sense if they were imbued with some kind of life, person, some kind of life, but not quite personality, because they respond to Lumiere. And they have lyrics in the song, but they don't talk or interact with anybody else outside of this almost duty that they have. And I yeah. think this explains why Chip has like 30 brothers and sisters, because how in the world would that have happened? I mean, physically, how does a woman well, push out that many children? Well, okay, some of those teacups do like have 40? faces. I'm sorry? Some of those teacups have faces. Some of those teacups have faces. I'm not saying... I still, don't, I still don't think they are people because we don't learn about them. We don't we yeah. never see them as people. We only see them when Mrs. Potts is commanding them to pour tea on intruders. And I think this is... I'm, I'm not sure that this was something that the animators actually thought about, but I think it is very important oh, to at fuck. least take this idea into consideration if you're going to be able to not think about how great, what a crazy amount of people are in this castle, because it's the only thing that really makes sense to me. But they be sing our a guest. song. They sing "Be Our Guest," which is about. It's a beautiful song. It's the. It is the original show-stopping number for this movie, and the only one there needs to be. Okay. <laughs> we'll get into that when we get into that. But the main point of it is, it's it very cleverly, subtly gives you background information like it's been 10 years since the curse was put on this kid yeah and the servants are lost without God, yeah what is it what does Lemire say oh he's not whole without a soul to wait upon yeah the beast is no longer a person in a lot of ways and mrs potts provides him with tea and lumiere provides him with dating advice but otherwise, they he doesn't interact with his staff on like a personal day to day basis. It seems and, like, and I think, and I think going back to your earlier theory, would you want to? I mean, like, like as far as 
as far as he's concerned, they're not they're not people anymore either. They're pale imitations of the life he used to have. Yeah, I think that honestly, I I, I think that a piece of him broke. <laughs> and he's got that magic mirror. He probably spends a lot of time looking at other stuff. Yeah. The the big thing about be our guest that I really I really enjoy is just mm-hmm. a it's it's a fantastic song and like such a fun song. The reason I think this song matters is because this is this is our introduction to to the house as as a magical entity. Right. It's not just these like four characters. Yeah. Like it's everything. Like we, yeah, we understand that there there is more at stake to breaking this curse than just the beast. There's an entire staff of people whose lives were affected by this, and and Put it deepens pause, the stakes. Basically. Yeah, you like it, that they don't age. They spent ten years doing nothing in a, in a stasis. But my my big problem with Beer Guest is as fun as it is, it mostly just comes off as it mostly just comes off as a uh, look at how fun this is. Look at how fun life can be here. The song is more about convincing Belle that that this won't be so bad than it is about the actual staff. That that is. What I find interesting about it, again, though, is that it is sung to Belle to be about Belle, about how... Yeah. That, that's, that's the point. It's sort of subtly not about Belle. Because it's sung to Belle to entertain Belle to make her feel better. And they start singing about themselves instead. You know the song was originally supposed to be sung to Belle's father when he got into the castle? That would not have been nearly as good. But it also, it it almost would have made more contextual sense because they really had to work to put Belle in a situation where um, Be Our Guest could be sung to her. Yeah. Well, she had to sneak out of her room. And I appreciate all of the work they put into it because it had, like you said, it had that great moment with the Beast and it has her coming out of her room, which shows an amount of willfulness in our heroine that I like. <laughs> The fact that she was so willing to just break out of the ho- out of the room on her own adds a lot to her character. It, it makes her stronger. Oh, the thing she does next adds a lot to her character. To oh, easily. I lo- about. Oh, yeah, I love it. Let's get into that then. So, Belle is kid. Okay, she is kidnapped by a violent beast and kept in an enchanted castle. And the first thing she does is snoop around in his deepest, darkest secrets. Like, and God bless Cogsworth and Lumiere for like trying to distract her. And she and she kind of leads them on and then immediately is like, all right, now that they're distracted. It seems like they're going to get her when, when they say library. And she leads them on and is like, ooh, a library. And as they start going off, she's like, now's my chance. Mm-hmm. Makes her way to uh, his his the West Wing, which we find out later is his bedroom wing. And she kind of slowly walks into the walks into this room that's just completely destroyed. I so want to know why this was here. If you go back and watch it, you probably didn't notice it because, again, I didn't notice it yeah. until this one time. There is a bust of some old guy, and it's both the one thing that's not broken and the one thing that's not transformed. Like, we see at the end of the movie that there are gargoyles and stuff all over the house because they used to be angels and they got changed in the curse. This is unchanged, it's unbroken. And I have no idea who this dude is. There's like a Socrates-looking dude just sitting on a pedestal that the Beast has not pushed over in anger at some point. 
and I don't understand it. And it was, I think, obviously, it was just something somebody drew into the background. But everything else was broken except for this one thing. <laughs> and it drew, it, it was, I, I just, I want it explained. I want somebody to explain to me what the hell that is. Well, Why I mean, is if, it important? If it's not his dad. Right, I mean, it could be his dad. He didn't have a crown. Would his dad have a crown? I don't even know. Well, if it, he can be a prince, he can be in line for the throne and be the son of a dude who has who who is himself a prince, and he wouldn't have a crown if he was a yeah. prince. Or he could, um, or he could have gotten, or he could have become his father could become king later in life or something. Like that would, yeah. None of that would be crazy, but it's just it's so odd to me that that one thing is there. There are a lot of really cool ways of explaining it away because you you mentioned that he was Socrates like, and I don't know about you, but I know that like, uh, so when I was a kid, um, my dad had this suitcase that he had. I never knew. I I didn't know until like I was until recently what the what that suitcase was. Drugs. But the reason I knew the reason I knew about the suitcase is because I once hid under my bed for my parents underneath my parents' bed from them. And when I got out, I, I asked my dad, hey, you have a suitcase down there. Can I have it? And he said, no, um, the suitcase is very important to me. And I was like, cool, whatever. But but from then on, like whenever I was playing hide and seek with my cousins or whatever, I would when I, I would kind of be take care around the suitcase because I knew it was important to my dad. So it's possible that the reason this one bust isn't broken is because like his dad like had a great love for maybe Socrates or some philosopher and would tell him like this this is very important to me because of what this represents. But that's the thing that makes it so much more fascinating. Yeah, that makes me want to know why more. this one thing wasn't broken. That doesn't help explain it away. I want more explanation. And and I'm not trying to explain it away. I'm just saying like like that's good. That's good set design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, great because it, it pulls you in. It makes you want to know more, and, and not only does it make you want to know more, it makes you invent reasons, which, there's a word for that, and I don't remember what it is, uh, maison. So Belle sees a picture of the beast before he's transformed. I don't think she realizes it's him, because I don't think she's ever told that he is cursed. No, she, she kind of just assumes that this is who he is. Yeah, which is kind of important, because, I mean, she falls in love with the beast and not the guy that he could be. And... She, she doesn't ever really find out until near the end of the movie. Right, until he's, I think until he's suddenly not cursed anymore. Yeah, probably, I think that's the moment she finds out. Which they, I was watching that and it was amazing. She had this look of complete disbelief. Like, what? And we're well, going to get there because I, yeah, I, 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 I almost, I almost started talking about it. I was like, nope, gotta wait, gotta wait. Yeah. Um, we gotta wait until we get there. So she, so she sees a torn up picture it has a claw mark through it because he was sick of staring at his own face. Okay, so here's here here's the thing. In that in that portrait, the, a painting of him. Mm -hmm. He looks he looks to be the same dude he turns back into. Yeah, it's possible he had a really strong jawline at 11. Well, either he had a really strong jawline at 11 or he also had or nobody in this castle's aged in the last 10 years. I think he was a kid. It's the only thing that makes sense. Here's another possibility. What if, unmentioned by the story, he got a Dorian Gray painting? Yeah, I was going to say, or this is some Dorian Gray shit and the painting yeah. is aging with him. Like what if the he just has a painting of what he could be? Oh. And it's never, 
It's never mentioned because he got so pissed at it that he destroyed it. I was going to say, yeah, if I was turned into a horrid monster and I got to see what I could have looked like, I would have destroyed that painting from day fucking two. The moment I realized it was great. aging That's now too. canon? Yeah, easily. That's, can- that's canon. For now. sure. She's about to see the rose. So she and she she looks at the rose and she uh she lifts up the jar around the rose and Yeah, come she, on. There's being curious and there's being reckless. Yeah, if I saw a jar with the floating rose in it, the last thing I would do would be to touch it. I'd be like, oh fuck. The but but like I said, she's uh she's too inquisitive for her own good. Like she like it seems to me that the reason she reads a lot is because she has thousands of questions in her head and this, the easiest way for her to answer them is to read but in this case without the comfort of books the easiest way for her to answer those questions is to explore and it's possible that she explored her whole town earlier found out it was boring as hell and she always she always had that um that urge but we don't get to see it until now so before she gets to uh touch the rose she's about to touch the fucking rose and it's the one thing if this rose is destroyed then he has no hope of ever coming back as a person no he yeah he's a beast forever which i so thought he you know, died what? can i just say i thought i thought he died the first time i saw this movie the second time i watched it i was like oh no if if he doesn't break the curse he's just a monster until he dies until he dies not then he dies. I thought I thought it was going to be you'll die on your twenty first birthday if you can't love, which seemed a lot harsher. I'm seeing I'm seeing my big paragraph of stuff that I've written about the curse. <laughs> so we're gonna get there soon. <laughs> but but he he fucking I'm sorry. No, you do it. So yeah. So the beast just shows up and is immediately like. By the way, I didn't think of this at the time. Yeah. The beast is fucking sneaky. I guess he's lived in this house his whole life. Yeah, he would know so how to get around. So he knows how to move quietly around it. How you get to, you know how in your childhood home, you can find all the places where the floorboards don't creak and stuff? Yeah, yeah, I get you. And and not only that, but I would think he would want to get around the house quietly since it seems that he doesn't want to interact with any of his servants in any way. Yeah, but he, he he's a fucking ninja. He can just swoop into a room. Well, and he just shows up and he's immediately like, why are you here? I told you not to come here. Like, get out right now. And there's a big thing here because as angry as he's getting and as as destructive as he's becoming, the moment she's gone, he just is destroyed as a person. And it, it seems to me that he he can't, he wa- like, like he wants to not be this way. And the thing is, this is the one time in the movie where he yells at somebody. And he has a very, 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 very good reason to. Every other time, it was him being crazy. It was him being a total dick. Yeah, this time, it's like when you yell at a kid who's about to walk into the street. Yeah. So that they know never to walk into the street. The street again. But but he he realizes, though, like, I, I went too far. And mm-hmm. I think, I think, I, I always get, I get a sense from his character that, that he wishes he wasn't like this, but at the same time, he 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 he's never interacted with somebody any other way. And in this moment of of vulnerability, because it was a moment of vulnerability, she Bell didn't know, but it was because like she she could have unwillingly destroyed any hope he had of of becoming of having a normal life. 
he he fell back on old habits and those old ha- and he's realizing like these old habits are destructive. I was just gonna say this is also the only time in the movie that Belle feels feels fear. Yeah, I was gonna because she what she does is immediately runs away. She has sworn to stay in his house and she was planning to to stand by that, but she is just gone. And I was gonna say to sort of lead into the next scene. This violent behavior might usually be self-destructive, but goddamn is it useful against a pack of wolves. Oh, goddamn isn't it? Because unfortunately, when Belle runs away, that wolf pack is back in town and they're itching for another bite at human. God bless this movie. They're starving because no way, no way would a bunch of healthy wolves who can get food from somewhere else think, you know what I'm going to do? Fight the beast. So here's here's the thing then here's the here's the thing that I wanted to talk about earlier is that is, is you mentioned the wolves not being able to find food. It seems to me like the curse that that this enchantress placed onto the beast extends like doesn't just extend to him and his house and his servants, but it ex- extends to the whole property because that forest yeah, is. Extends, I was gonna say extends to the grounds and the forest leading up to it. So it's possible that these like these wolves were normal ass wolves, but with this curse, there is no food in this forest because there's no, there's no, there are no leaves on these trees that all look really dead. There's no life. It's that all twisted sense. and gnarled, and I think these wolves represent like are just another facet of that curse. But just as the wolves are about to get the get, about to get the gamut on bears on Bell, suddenly beast. I fucked up my own punchline. I fucked up my own punchline. You did. That was very bad. Um, I do want to say, though, that Belle does smack one about the head. Oh, she fucking defends herself. She, she, no way does, no way does this 20-year-old woman fight off a whole pack pack of of wolves. wolves. But she gives them a fight before the beast shows up. And then when the beast shows up, he gives them a fight. Unfortunately, though. Well, there's a great scene. He fights he fights them off but he is too tired to move and he passes out yeah he passes out and what's great about that is that you can see bell thinking yeah because like, this what is... she she can still do is, is leave leave and there are a lot of negative implications with this movie uh vis-a-vis stockholm syndrome and stuff like that but the scene where she it's understood that she and Philippe have somehow dragged the beast back into his castle and she is now cleaning his wounds and then she shouts him down. Oh, that's my favorite starts, part. When, when he growls at her, that is fucking aces. So good. Now there suddenly isn't um this weird power influx where he has all the power over her. Now she has him at a moment of weakness, and she has stood up to his anger, and and, and that's they're at equal yeah. footing. And 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 going back to that, like like again, like him feeling pain at his wounds. That that like again, he's in a moment of weakness, and her trying to help that he again falls back on old habits. He tr- he gets angry at her, and her mm-hmm. her fighting back uh, is is another is 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 good for him because he. Like, one of the lines she has is, like, you need to learn how to control your temper. And he's just like, I have nothing. I can't say anything to that. Yeah. 
Because I do. Because I know I do. <laughs> he knows he does, and nobody else, possibly because maybe the person who would usually say something to him is made of porcelain. Um, nobody <laughs> does... else is willing to tell him to shut the fuck up. But I, I want to go back to this earlier scene because this movie and the, its implications with Stockholm syndrome. Like mm-hmm. the reason the reason that doesn't work is because like there there is a moment when the beast finishes fighting that he looks at Bell and and he he's scared be, like because he's injured. She could have been injured. He is deeply fearful and he passes out. And that the reason that that's important is because like like Belle could have left. She was about to go. She was ready to hop on her horse and leave. And the reason she doesn't isn't because she's fallen in love with her captor. It's because him him looking scared signaled to her this is a person and I can't just turn my back on a person. It's a good thing Belle's a good person. <laughs> Otherwise, this movie would have ended when she left the beast to die, and that was actually that was actually one of my problems. We're gonna get into with the next movie, where it was clear that the writers, the writers have to write a story from this sort of middling part where she's not supposed to be in love with him yet, but they clearly want her to be because that's how they end up. And yeah. it, it doesn't it doesn't quite work, but we will fucking get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the next dreaded, note I have, I don't know. Interquel. I don't know if this is the next scene, but the next note I have is about the library. The no, this is not the next scene. There, there's quite a bit between there, but um, uh, so blah, blah, blah. oh right, right. So the next scene is uh is the uh is a scene but is a short scene between Gaston LeFou and the dude in charge of the asylum, who is oh, the yeah. creepiest motherfucker. That's the thing in this movie where the whole point is don't judge people by how they look, and they went to the they went to the trouble of making Gaston look good. Look like a, a dashing man. hero. Yeah, and the beast looks awful, even though he basically... I understand how falling in love with him would be hard, but he looks kind of cuddly. I'm gonna... I, I'll get... I'll, I'll I'll talk about this later. Okay, when you get... But yeah, the point is when you get right down to a children's character thing, he's not going to make any kids scream. Yeah, trust me, I'll um, get into this later. Okay, okay, okay. Good, 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 good. This guy from the asylum, he looks like the Crypt Keeper's grandfather. And he straight <laughs> up tells Gaston how willing he is to take a bribe to lock up a harmless old man. Yeah. And we're, we're just told straight up, this is an evil person. <laughs> it took multiple songs to get Gaston to that place, but no, this guy... It didn't take multiple songs, it took a couple of seconds. It took multiple songs to really drive the point out. Oh, I mean, driving the plane, but yeah, like they they went all out making this guy look as creepy as possible. Oh my god, he has a name apparently. Did they say his name? Uh, they probably do. It's Monsieur de Daque. I don't know how to pronounce it. Are you sure it doesn't somehow sound like death? Monsieur de No. Doesn't no? sound like okay. that really. In fact, if anything, it just kind of sounds like Mister Dark. That kind of works. Yeah. With uh, I mean, he's not he's not actually a crypt keeper. He's not. He works for an asylum, which is a fate worse than death. 
You know what? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that's a phrase that comes up a lot in Aladdin too. So we're going to talk about that eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 Gaston basically has put all of the all of the pieces into place to uh to blackmail Belle the moment she comes home. Right. And is this also the scene where he sticks LeFou guarding her house? Yes. Again, it really shows the power difference in their relationship. And it should uh, and it should be noted that he does not care that she is gone. Yeah, he really doesn't. Oh, fuck, you know what I forgot? That Maurice packed up to go save Belle on his own. Yes. That's that's yes, when Maurice, this happens. Maurice packed up and and left and he doesn't have a horse anymore. So he's, yeah, and he, we know that he is unwell because he was sick in the, um, in the castle. And it seems like he hasn't spent a lot of time indoors since then. But he is very panicked about his daughter living with this beast. Which, I mean, wouldn't you be? So I was about get... to say I might take a day, but you know what, I pro- <laughs> I, I like to think that I wouldn't, actually. <laughs> What we get next is a uh, kind of a montage of uh, of uh, the Beast and Belle kind of just spending time together. Is this um? Is this um? Something there. Something there. Yes. Yeah. There may be something there that wasn't there before. I love the I love the Beast's lines in that song. I really do. You you mentioned earlier how you love it when when two people are singing apart. Yes. Like, to themselves, the same song. This movie does it, I think, the best. Mm-hmm. Like, because because it, it's, it, like, we get to see who the Beast is, and apparently who he is is this insecure, fucking, like, cute good boy who, yeah. who wants to be good. Like, he's trying to feed birds, and he's thinking about how she touched his hand, and he says, no, no, she can't, like, actually like me, I'm just gonna ignore that. And it's, it's fucking adorable. And this is, this is, this is obviously the scene that the whole other movie came out of. This whole, this sweet little part of them sort of, kind of, sort of, not quite almost falling in love with each other. While it really, the whole scene, the whole setup with Belle's new clothes and the, and, and the, the birds, even though there's snow everywhere, it felt like a Christmas scene. (laughs) It really did. Which is definitely where the whole other movie came out of. Just the aesthetic of this one, of this, of this one song. Okay. I really do want to bring up those because they start having a snowball fight and the camera kind of cuts away, but you can still see it happening in the distance. Beast makes this like enormous snowball, but Belle clocks him in the face with another one and he just drops it on himself, which is the funniest fucking thing. And it's, it's great. It's great because if he had thrown that snowball, she would have died. Well, if he had thrown that snowball, she probably would have gotten hurt or maybe not even hurt for real, but kind of like offended that he threw a snowball that big at her. Like he was trying to hurt her but the <laughs> fact that she hit him and he dropped it on himself because <laughs> here's the thing Tony. because here's the thing tony is if he threw that snowball at her she would have fucking died and the movie would have been over <laughs> <laughs> i think i think she would have been fine but i've been hit with snowballs before and they fucking hurt and i think she would have been fucking hurt <laughs> i really like the idea <laughs> And killing her with the snowball. Why do you like that idea, you (laughs) job? (laughs) Oh fuck! Sorry. So then the servants start singing. 
start the seeing servants, something there. Yeah, this is kind of their... And there's a great line. There's there's a line that I think is important for the movie, because Beasts and Bells love can feel forced, because they literally have a time limit on it, based on a magical curse. But there's a, there's a line that I think Lumiere says, which is, who'd have guessed they'd come together on their own? We did not have to do this, even though we really, really, really wanted it to, to happen. happen. And I think, I think the biggest thing, though, is, again, Belle still doesn't know. The only people who know that there's a time limit are the staff and the beast. But, but the thing is, is in this scene, the beast, the beast seems to forget himself and forget the curse and just be, just, he just wants to be around her. I want to mention something. Okay, okay, okay. So the library, the beast is super excited because somehow, probably from Lumiere, he has learned that Belle loves books. And he has a huge, huge library full of books. And there's this great giddy moment where he's making her cover her eyes as he goes to open the door to the library. And he pulls her in and she looks around and she has this, she is super into it. She's never seen that many books in one place before. But here's my thing. Here's my problem with it. Why are all the statues still angels? The library doesn't look evil like the rest of the castle looks. Yeah, well, it seems to me like the library is untouched because it's a place he doesn't go. Interesting. Like, maybe the whole castle wasn't changed immediately, but it, like, morphed. Around him. Yeah. That's a good curse. That's such a fucking evil curse. Props on, like... What a bitch! No cut corners. I gotta respect yeah, seriously. that... That craftsmanship. All he did was not let her in his house. Because she was ugly. Off. Okay, and there's something else I need to go over before we talk about the next song. Because okay. I got to the I got to the thing where I started writing down all the crazy stuff with Chip. Um, because this is the scene where he says, What's there? They say there's something there that wasn't there before, and he has no idea what, yeah. what they're talking what, about. What is it? He has been six years old for ten years. And he cannot comprehend that Beast and Belle are falling in love. He does not get it. Despite the fact that he is almost their age. I think this really does add to the fact that he that they are incapable of aging. And I, I started writing out what an existential crisis this would cause in the Beast. And I found something that I did not mention earlier. Which is, since he loses, to, he loses his friend to time and knows that he has to keep growing... He also knows that if he doesn't break the curse, which, by the way, he believes to be unbreakable because he doesn't think anybody can ever fall in love with him, then he will grow old and die a beast while his servants continue on forever in this empty house. And actually, this is something that I thought of this while going through this movie. It's something that's actually revisited in the next movie. This idea that the beast can die and all the servants will just live forever then, as they are unchanging before we get into human again i want to i want to touch more on the subject that uh, because, now that you've brought it up because i don't know if this has ever happened to you but i remember i once fell asleep and i woke up i woke up almost almost exactly 24 hours later holy fuck so so i fell asleep yeah i lost a full day and because i woke up it felt to me like i had been asleep for 12 hours and no time had passed and i 
I, I in in the couple of seconds that I thought that I felt like I went insane because because I was like I, I was asleep for so long but it's the same time like the sun is in the same place what what's mm-hmm. going on what's happening I'm wearing the same clothes I don't understand the idea that I might grow that 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 I could be growing older while everything around me is trapped in time is horrifying yeah it's no wonder the beast does not have people skills and and that's the thing though is is i i can completely understand the beast not wanting to talk to his servants because because they're unchanging they're incapable Mm -hmm. of change because they are they're objects now and and it would be so difficult again like like play act life when you know that that something is horribly wrong yeah yeah absolutely to just go through your day and day day to day when you're the only one that ever gets different that's so i think it's possible that maybe for in in the beginning he it wouldn't have been so the curse wouldn't have been so bad but i think oh as time goes on and he realizes that like he's growing and changing as a person mm-hmm. does as they grow older and they're not that he would become more reserved more angry more violent because how what can there's nothing you can do he's utterly powerless in this situation despite the fact that he's a big hulking muscly monster i was gonna say despite the fact that he is huge yeah so human again so human again why don't you get into this i don't i don't very much like this song but it's fun that you do so so human again it's a flip-floppy point because a lot of a like it, it, it's controversial both within Disney as well as the the, the reason it's controversial is because it, it was cut for pacing reasons. The story was adapted as a Broadway stage musical. They put the song back in and it was a big hit. So they then decided to retroactively re-include it into the uh, 2002 re-release of the film. And ever since then, there's been this kind of like, it shouldn't be there because it wasn't there in the original vision, but it should be there because it was in the original vision, but was cut. But yeah, it was cut for pacing reasons. It didn't quite gel with the story, but obviously it gels with the story because it was a big hit on the Broadway musical. But this is a movie, not a Broadway musical, and just like an endless kind of back and forth between two discourses. Here's the thing. This is a very musical movie. Yes. But at the end of the day, it's not a musical. It's not. Going, it's, a, it's a film. Going straight from one song to another without a solid scene in between was very jarring for me. I liked Human Again, even though I thought that they poured like way too much time into giving background to characters nobody cares about. They didn't just focus on the main characters. They went to the chef and the um, wardrobe woman. They, they they just went went to every place in the castle singing about human again and i did not love that but what i really didn't like like i would have been able that, that would have been fine if the next scene wasn't tale as old as time because so, tale as old as time has to have its own moment but here, so here's the it's thing. so central so here's the reason why i do like it where it is because be our guest you said you said it's a big it's a big showstopper piece and you're right and, and the purpose of Human Again in the Broadway stage musical was to be a show starter um, in between... Oh, the first song in, I believe after it's the, the intermission? Yeah, because the, inter, the intermission song uh, after Be Our Guest is something there. It leads into the intermission. I believe getting out of the intermission, you get Human Again. Okay, something there is a good intermission song, actually. It is. 
Right? Because it tells you stuff's changing, but it hasn't changed all the way yet. But the reason I like Human Again, like, even even though you're right, it like, pacing-wise, it, it feels like it kind of extends the movie and it doesn't have to. But the reason I like Human Again is because this... This song is what the staff wants. This is the staff finally getting their time in the spotlight. And I think that matters. It matters to me because it reminds me these aren't just objects. They are people and they have goals and wants and needs and things that they wishes that they could do. Well, here's kind of the here's kind of the thing I don't like about it. They get themselves caught up in dreaming about being human again and that's fine. I'm sure it happens all the time with them. But the fact is that they're doing this because they thought they saw kind of maybe a spark in between these two people. And it's like, that is not somebody falling in love with somebody else yet. They're getting way ahead of themselves. They're putting all of this pressure that Bell doesn't even know is there. But that's the thing, though, is is they're not putting pressure on Bell. They're, they're hoping that this is the moment because they want to be human again. And, and they kind of all understand that if this one, if this one doesn't work out... Well, they've apparently only got like a few weeks. It's not quite clear how long. If this one doesn't work out, we're never going to get another chance. And because that hope is there, and it might be the last hope they have, this is the last time they can dream about being human again. That's very important to me. Sorry, I just looked at my audacity. I spent three fucking hours. You are not getting this done by Friday. (laughs) I am. Spoiler alert. No, I am not. So then we go, like I said, straight from human again to tales all this time. I, you have voiced your disagreement. I think it's I think it's really jarring pacing. Well, here's and here's the other reason why I like Human Again is because there's a great the this, the intermittent scene in Human Again, which is Bell teaching Beast to read. Oh, this 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 moment. Yes, I wanted to talk about this because this is very important for the next movie. <laughs> I also just like how they put this in the in the book or in in the movie when it hadn't originally been. The scene that you're talking about is. Bell reading to the beast. Reading uh, Romeo and Juliet to the beast. Yes, and then asking, telling him to read it because she had already read it and he says that he cannot read. And so she starts to teach him. This is something from, now it was probably originally going to be in this movie, but it was in the, it was in the musical. It's in the last song. It's in um, something there, I believe. She's, they're actually reading King Arthur or something. And she and she starts to teach him how to read, and he says that he never knew that books could make you forget who you are, which I thought was great. It's it's that's great characterization for for the beast, and it's actually something that sort of comes up. Okay, we have to start talking about the second movie at some point. But yeah. in the second movie, he uses Forte's music to forget himself for a while. And what's it, what I found interesting about that is it's sort of a reference to something that had not come about yet. And also, but on the other hand, he also fucking starts reading the book Bell writes him. Even though he can't, <laughs> can't fucking read. read. <sighs> I got so mad at that part. Yeah, that, that part to me was like, wait, I thought he couldn't, um, okay. Well, see, that, that bit wasn't in that movie originally. They added it later, so even though it's accepted now that he couldn't read in that movie, since they made this, the midquel before before that was added in, there's just always going to be that moment where, oops, the beast <laughs> is reading. That, but that that is, you're right, that's 
that's a good moment in between them. I I really do enjoy that that moment and 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 also the re- the, the the reason I think Human Against still works is because of that moment because the scene ends with with the the this whole musical number ends with them all kind of again coming back to the fact that the only way this dream comes true is if it works out between these two people and we and we and we hope it works out and this might be the last time we can hope so so the song even though it's big and show-stopping ends on this very timid will they won't they moment which i think leads beautifully into beauty and the beast okay i disagree but i see your point and, and again, like, I'm glad that we fall on opposite sides of this, because apparently this is a, a fucking big debate amongst uh, Beauty and the Beast fandom. I just think I just think Beauty and the Beast should be able to stand on its own a little bit more. And it I, I get you there. It's, but it sort of loses some of that. I, I didn't think so. I thought I and the, and the biggest reason I don't think so is because Tale is all this time is or Tale is time, but... it, it's such a different song because it's just well, that was actually why I thought it should stand by itself more. It, it felt overshadowed by this big, big, loud song. And this is a song that's sung by one person. Yeah. Who is watching from the sidelines. So. And this song has a lot of, uh, this is all subtext, basically. But because it's sung by Mrs. Potts, the song has a lot of that hope. Yeah. In it. Just like uh, Be Our Guest tale as old as time is more about is more about beauty and the beast and not really as much about these characters about the these uh the all of these casts like uh supporting cast members who who without human again have no real stake in the curse so far as we know they do i don't i don't need their stake spelled out we don't need to argue about human again we don't need to keep going on this we can talk about how tales of this time is still also a good song it's so good and the and, and the, the big thing i want to bring up about tales of this time which the, the the song is called beauty and the beast okay i keep on i keep i i always get it mixed up sometimes i call it tales of this time sometimes i call it beauty and the beast so the the initial idea was this character mrs potts watching this this moment happen and singing about it but the actress Angelica Lansbury, I think her name was. Angela Lansbury. Didn't feel uh-huh. like she could pull it off. She she was like, my I, I don't I don't I don't think I can pull I don't I don't think I can I don't think I can do this as an as a as an older singer. But uh I believe it was Alan Menken really pushed for her to do it. And apparently she was able to A get record the whole song in one take. Oh wow. At the same time they uh, hired uh, Celine Dion and someone else. Oh, yeah, I forget who she does that with. I Bryson? Something Bryson. Piabu Bryson. <laughs> hey, man, That's come on. Name. It is a very stupid name, actually. Piabu Bryson. I'm sure he chose it for himself. I, because... uh, uh, it's, it's his middle name. The song recorded by uh, Angela Lansbury was like, in one take, like, yeah. We fucking got it. There is no alternative. This is perfect. Mm-hmm. But the reason the Celine Dion and uh, Pibu Bryson uh, version was recorded was for marketing reasons, and they eventually ended up using it as the end credits theme. Personally? Are you going to say you like the Celine Dion one better? The exact opposite. I hate it. I hate it. 
You said it with such hesitancy that I was like, are you going to say that you don't like the one they put in the movie? No, I love the one they put in the movie. I, yeah, okay, I agree. I, yeah, don't wanna, I, think, I don't want to hear another one. Again, and this is sort of the same problem. The Celine Dion one sounds kind of show-stoppy. There is so much... Um, I, want, I, I almost said effort, but that's not, that's not the word for like when somebody is belting out a song. Obviously there's effort there, but that's not what I mean. It like makes it more like over the top passionate than it's supposed to be. Yeah. That that I feel like it's supposed to be. I, I could easily have seen them kind of Tarzaning it and just having it overlaid over the scene. And and it would and, and while that would have worked, it would not have worked as well. Yeah, it wouldn't have been nearly as good. I'm glad that they let this be Mrs. Potts just it, it feels like it feels like it's her character reminiscing. Like I remember when I fell in love, and and it's and an amazing say, thing. This this is not about the the song and the history of the song as much as it is about the line, "Tale as old as time." Yeah, because I used to have sort of a problem with this weird assertion that the oldest love story is a girl falling in love with a monster. Beast. Yeah, yeah, um, man. But then, hey, listen, got... Tony. We've always had furries. I, f- I felt like there was an even chance that whatever you just said would have been to insult me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, no, you'll find someone. <laughs> oh, that would have been funnier. Yeah. I should have Swing done that. Swing and a miss there, Andy. No, I'm going to go back and edit it so that that's what I say. Um, we'll fix it in line... post. But, but, they... but there are lines like, um, neither one prepared and barely even friends and stuff like that that made me think of Pride and Prejudice and this old, old love story trope of a girl meeting a guy and the guy falls for her instantly and she hates his guts. And that's, so that's what that makes, that's what that's, that makes me think of now. I, I am told, um, my, my dad told me that, uh, there was a, I think he was a Cleveland based writer who wrote westerns and all he did was write that love story from the guy's perspective where the guy the the cowboy like falls in love with some girl and she hates him and it's just him trying to be like a decent guy and try to get this girl to fall in love with him he says they're not very good i was gonna say that people people kind of love the formula so he so he is a big seller for a while I mean, hey, people still buy oh, fucking what's that author's name? Robert Pat Patterson books. James Patterson is that his name? James Patterson, yeah, that guy. What did I say? Robert say Patterson. Like Fifteen of his books at Walmart at a time. Yeah, seriously, guy must be doing something right. Whatever it is. Are we done? Tell us all this time. Did we get everything we want to? To be uh. Yeah, we, I think I think we're good. It's it, it is an amazing, beautiful moment. Oh, oh, oh no! Something visually, I want to talk about. The dancing scene where Beauty and the Beast are dancing around mm-hmm. was, and still is to this day, the best combination of CGI and traditional animation in a movie ever. Yeah, I noticed that, and I noticed that it didn't bother me. Because in um, the go-to one I always think of is Aladdin. Aladdin has some choppy CGI, and that was released around the same time. 
there was really no reason for the CGI to look so much better, but it did, and I, I really enjoyed it. Visually, this scene is amazing. So, and and the thing is, is the, the reason they use CGI is because they wanted, what they wanted is they wanted this ballroom to feel big. Like, we need to emphasize how big this ballroom is. And then, counterpoint, we want to emphasize how much space Beauty and the Beast are taking up dancing around this ballroom because they are having so much fun they are in a sense as big as the empty space that they are in because in their eyes there's no one else that's really fucking good filmmaking it is good filmmaking and that's good um i don't know if you can call it choreography if there aren't real people dancing but it sounds like it's really good choreography well, I mean, but that's the thing, though, is it is choreography because, like, they, they, they constructed this massive room. They, they, they decided on these sweeping, panning uh, camera shots. And then they had to look at that and go, where do we want these characters to be to make this scene just pop? And they fucking nail it in one. It is amazing. God, Tony, I love this movie. Yes. Yeah, me too. Then, um... Well, yeah, because uh, Beast... Uh, what what does he do? He takes she she kind of tells him like this is a I'm having a great time and this is so much better uh, some this is a a much better life than I ever could have imagined it being. But I still wish I could have seen my I can see my dad. I wish I could see my dad again. And Beast says I have I have this mirror and and if you ask this mirror if you can see your dad you'll see him. So so she she looks into the mirror and asks to see her father and she sees him dying in the woods trying to get to the castle. And she says, I need to go get him. I need to go save my dad. And Beast says, then go. Yes. And this is this is a big moment for Beast because that is a completely selfless act because he is in love with somebody, which he, he is self-destructive because he needs the curse to be uh to, to to be lifted but he cannot keep her there and also truly love her so he he lets her go also how long was maurice wandering the forest do you think was uh, it days? i'm thinking i'm thinking weeks? weeks i'm thinking weeks it was it's so the thing that i don't like about this movie is it's so ambiguous about the passage of time so because the passage of time is so important when it comes to the idea that you know People are traveling to and from this from castle, places. and there, and a lot of the plot is actually going on outside, while there's a different plot happening inside. And the amount of time that passes is very important, and it's also never that clear. the The movie manages to raise the stakes despite that, and I think that show that goes to show how well written it is. Um, because because you're right, it is a problem that this movie doesn't have a clear time scale, but at the same time, it's not a problem. Um, because I probably only noticed it because I was looking at it from such an analytical perspective. Hey, I need to write down things I think about this movie because I'm going to be talking about it on my podcast that I do. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think... In, in any, if this story were any less well put together, it would have been a glaring plot issue. But but the movie moves along in such a way that the passage of time doesn't actually matter. the the one The one thing that matters, like the one the one thing that matters in terms of time passing, is the rose and its petals. 
because as time goes on, a petal fall for like what is it like a petal falls off the rose, and you know that once that rose is dead, it's too late. Belle decides to go after and save her father, and uh, I believe it's Cogsworth who who uh, enters the room and is like, "Hey, sounds like everything's going great. I can't wait for tomorrow." No way. I think. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Oh Cogsworth. <laughs> yeah. Cogsworth walks in. He's like, "Man, things are going great." I thought that was the best date ever. I love how great things are going. I'm so glad that absolutely nothing has happened to get in the way of the fact that yeah. this curse is almost broken. And he reveals that he let her leave because he loves her. And this is such a hard scene because you can see how let down all of the servants are. Yeah. But also, what can they say? No, you should have kept her. What? Like, he made a decision that was both the wrong and right decision. And they can't do anything about it. And he says, I did it because I loved her. And, well, fuck. <laughs> I guess this just blows. Yeah, because they're, they're kind of just like, well, I mean, uh, like, we love her too in our own way. And... Like, we can't force her to be here and love him back. And I think it's brought up by uh, by somebody like, but if he learned to love, then that's it. The spell's over. And they're like, no, the, the deal was somebody had to learn to love him for who he, for who he is. And, and it's like, fuck, well, we're done. It's over. Yeah, maybe somebody says maybe it would have been better if she hadn't come at all. Because they got all, she got their hopes up and now it's over. Um, so the big thing is when Belle goes out to save her dad, Chip decides to stow away, uh, in her bag or in her coat. I I think in her saddlebag. In her saddlebag. Let's say, let's say it was a saddlebag. Because we know she has a horse. The horse probably had a saddlebag. So she, but Chip stows away regardless. And so Belle saves her father and shows up at her house. Uh, with her dad in tow, and uh, LeFou immediately runs off to get Gaston and set the plan, the evil plan. Remember the evil plan, guys? I know it's been about two hours since we talked about the evil plan. Maybe. No, this will be all cut down. This is going to be fifty a 15-minute introduction before we get into the real meat, which <laughs> is the second movie. Uh-huh, yeah, the lean, six-ounce New York steak that is, a uh, New York strip that is, uh, Beauty and the Beast, Bell's Enchanted Christmas. Do you wanna do you wanna just have this be a long form movie reviews? <laughs> I don't think we could possibly I think there's just a lot to say about this movie. So we're near the climax. Let's just try to let's just try sorry, to pick it up. So sorry, give me a sec. But, let me write let me write a note here. Tony only wants to watch sequels. Alright, cool. So um <laughs> Why would you bring this darkness to my heart? <laughs> well, that's what you said, so, isn't it? Okay, so Chip shows up. Chip shows up, which is which is interesting. The reason that felt... It, it almost felt like Chip showing up took away some of the drama of the scene. And it took me a second to figure out why. And the reason is... You know you have to return that kid, right? She's going back to the castle. So there's at least going to be an awkward, hey, I think I left my clothes here scene 
even without Gaston showing up. But good news about the climax of this movie, Gaston shows up. So that's the th- well, I, I do. Before we get to Gaston, is I want to bring up that that Chip. The reason Chip stowed away is because he had a very important question to ask, and it's it's one of those questions that only a kid would ask, um, because because he asks Belle why she left, and he asks her if she left because she doesn't like living with them anymore, um, which is such a little kid way of thinking, like because that's the only reason a little kid can think of, like. Well, I wouldn't ever leave anything I liked. So if I left it, I must not like it anymore. Uh, and the other thing I want to say about Chip is the entire time I was watching this movie, I was like, "Who? I, he, Chip sounds so familiar. He sounds so familiar. Who? Who is he? Like, why? Why do I? Why does he sound so familiar? The voice actor for Chip is the voice of Tails in the Sonic games. I thought you were going to bring up a classic Disney actor that I'd somehow missed. But <laughs> no. no, I don't play the Sonic games, so it makes sense that I missed that. Yeah, so so when I realized that, I was like, oh yeah, of course, oh my god, it makes so much sense. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, nice little thing. So Gaston shows up. So Gaston shows up. Suddenly um, Gaston. And also the rest of the town. Yeah, like the whole fucking town is here for this torch and pitchfork thing. And also possibly impromptu wedding. Can I, yeah, again, can I just bring up again? Fuck this town. This town is bullshit. This town fucking sucks. I think, I think when Belle is princess, she's gonna raise it. My first act as princess is to burn that fucker to the ground. There will be nothing left. So, two, two, like two big beefy men, I think, grab Maurice and start towing him to the, uh, to this carriage that that will bring him to the asylum and Gaston is like leaning on the house saying oh that's a shame and Belle in a moment of what must be pure madness asks asks him to help because the thing is he could probably get anybody to do anything because he's so fucking charismatic so it 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 kind of it makes sense for her to ask on that note and on another note she has met him before she has she has a moment of panic where she asks him for help and he makes it pretty clear no he's crazy i couldn't possibly help him unless you were going to marry me and then she decides to disprove the idea that he's crazy by showing the magic mirror which by the way we have barely mentioned um but she has it. She has the magic mirror because the beast gave it to her so she could look back. I do want to talk about the magic mirror later because the magic mirror just adds to how fucked up this curse is. Oh, the fact that the fact that the witch gave him something to look out and to to see a world he can never participate in. Yeah, that makes me think that that that, that painting thing that we made up might actually be, be true. true. And she says, "Show me the beast." And the beast, he, I think he's sad. He seems to be crying loudly or howling, and that's, if it just showed him kind of blubbering, it might have gone down different. But what I find fascinating is everybody is scared, except Gaston, who, what he sees is he looks at Belle. Yeah. For like, this, as we have mentioned, pretty yeah. much the first time. This is, again, and very sees, important. There's, like, a lot of stuff online defending Gaston. Oh, he thought it was a monster and stuff like that. But this movie makes it pretty clear that all he wants to do is murder the guy that Belle likes. 
and and that's the thing is is Gaston looks at Bella and sees that she is in love with this monster. And so what he does is immediately takes the mirror from her, which is pretty much a perfect example of what Gaston has been up to this point. He takes the mirror from her and uses it to rally all the townspeople in fear with the mob song, which is a great song because it's be our guest in a different key, which is amazing because if you don't notice it, it kind of doesn't matter because subconsciously you'll know. No. Yeah. And it, it it matches perfectly. Also, there's a line in this song, we don't like what we don't understand. In fact, it scares us. And this monster is mysterious, at least. This is the most self-aware mob. <laughs> <laughs> that is That is a line that's... If this were a more comedic movie, that that would be a huge line. But that yeah, that's the thing is I can see that line being in a like Blazing Saddles esque parody of of a mob. You've never seen Gallivant, have you? I've never seen Gallivant. I'm sorry. I think it's on Netflix now. Yes, I have been watching it with my little cousin again. All the music's written by Alan Menken, but Alan Menken, but it's all um, comedic music. With with some, you know, some stuff is more comedic than others, but it's a tongue-in-cheek uh, fairy tale thing. So, the mob starts some marching. I want to go back to Gaston real quick, because I mentioned earlier that the only time Gaston looks at Belle is when she denies him, when she says no to him. As far as he's concerned, the only way she can get out of this situation is to marry him. And she denies him this by by showing the mob that her father isn't crazy. And so in this moment of denial, he looks at her, at, truly looks at her and sees that she is in love with this thing. And and the idea, the idea that this that this object that belongs to him could decide for itself that it wants something else enrages him so much that he rallies an entire village to go attack a house, a person, a thing that he doesn't understand, all because somebody dared to tell him no one too many times. That is an essence. Psychopathic? Yeah, it's psychopathic. But the thing is, is that is the epitome of toxic masculinity, of entitlement that a lot of people do have. And I and I really want to stress that 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 this way of thinking is beyond self-destructive. It it's communal. It's not just Gaston. It's this community it's, it's that rallies around town. him. Like it takes a village, and this village made a horrible, toxic man. And I wish this movie did more to show that he is wrong. I don't know how, because as much as this movie frames him as the bad guy, I wish this movie went more into what it is that makes him so evil, which is this mm. this sense of entitlement that a person should never have over another person. I think a way to do that now that I think of the foo as a person would be, you know, the end of Balto, and there was this really. <laughs> stupid because nobody actually liked this character there's this really stupid moment that could have been a powerful moment where he is alone he has nothing if they had done something like that with gaston maybe gaston and lefou where even where lefou looks at gaston and is like i can't support this anymore yeah if i think here's the thing gaston dies spoiler he gets a he gets a disney falling death yeah but when i saw that i think it's the first one Oh, really? 
Yeah, I think Gaston is canonically the first. Uh, well, no, I was I was gonna I was going to say Snow White, but I guess she gets crushed. <laughs> yeah. But when I when I watch it, I feel like he should have gotten to the pain. You know, he should have had somebody tell him that he is not worthy of killing because he is just that terrible, and his punishment should be living with himself. That's that's that is the that's the exact thing because he, like him dying is he he dies and at the same time the town kind of just fucks off fucks off and we never see the town again they're I chased he, away I think they actually fucked off a little bit earlier there's no there's no conclusion to this arc he dies mm-hmm. he never or he never learns that the reason he failed is because his way of thinking is wrong and I really mm-hmm. hope that this new movie grinds him into the ground and just shows the world how pathetic and disposable he is as a human being i want them to because throw him in the great line in, in balto yeah exactly thank you for noticing that i i I'm want them harder to... to notice your jokes because i'll hear them later and i'll think <laughs> oh that was great i should have laughed at that time sorry go on say say what you want i keep interrupting you to tell you how good a joke that was i want I want, I, I just, the one thing I want from Gaston in this live action movie is I want him, I want him to be pathetic, alone, and wrong, and then he can die. <laughs> you have my permission to die. And he does get a little bit of that, and I will talk about that when we get there, but for now, I just want to point out that, like, yeah, like, like this this whole town fucking sucks ass, and so they march onto the, onto the castle, Louvre. And there's a great, there's a scene, it's still, we're still in the mob song. But we cut to the beast and the castle. Um, they know that there are intruders and they go to defend the castle. And Mrs. Potts, Mrs. Potts goes to ask the beast what to do. And he says, it doesn't matter now, just let them come. Which feeds into my theory that he knows he's the only mortal thing in the thing castle. Thing in the castle. Because he doesn't want to live anymore. He's at his lowest he doesn't think that anyone else will get hurt because they can't. So just let them come. They'll get rid of him. And everybody else can just be. go on. They can be. This is a this is a great moment of despair, by the way. It's it's very subtle and powerful. The other reason I really like it is because is because you get a sense that maybe um the beast realizes that he has been so unfair to to his servants mm-hmm. throughout the course of the movie he realizes like i should have been treating them better this whole time and yeah. maybe and maybe he's thinking to himself without without bell to be here to help me be a good person maybe my servants would be better off without me abusing them he's willing to cut himself out of this equation now he's being incredibly self-destructive and that's also unhealthy but yeah, and you can also make the argument that he is being selfish too, even if he even if he doesn't realize it, because if he's dead, what is everyone else in the castle gonna do? Um, other than be in a cool haunted manor situation in the far future when two kids and their dad decide to move into this haunted ass mansion. We're not watching that movie. Aw. <laughs> but I I liked it. When I was five or six. I was gonna say, did you? It's, it's, um, dude, it was Eddie Murphy and I was like seven. So the mob gets up to the castle and after the uh, after the servants realize they're not going to be able to stop him from coming in, they very quickly arrange themselves like normal furniture so that they can ambush them in yeah. a fight scene that I'm sure is supposed to be comical and in some places is. But also some dude just gets eaten by, by a, a fucking wardrobe. chest 
It's the and best. I was 100% out. <laughs> I I so I so want that specific moment in gruesome detail depicted in the live action version. I want a live action man to be eaten by a CGI wardrobe and spit out wearing a dress. I want this so bad. No. No, 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 not the wardrobe, the chest. Oh. You remember the yes. chest? It yes. looked like the luggage from um Discworld. Yeah. And it just ate a guy and burped. Yep, let's do it. Kill kill some dudes. This town sucks. I don't care what happens. This town does fucking suck. They deserved it. So Cogsworth is basically a useless character. Yeah. That's sort of his point. Is he... Well, his whole point is that he's supposed to be master of the staff, it seems like. And yeah. he can't get them to listen to him. And he saves Lumiere. Yeah. By stabbing LeFou in the butt. Which is very cartoony, but also kind of a great moment because... It get, we get this payoff for this character who has not been able to do anything up to this point. Yeah, and he the the other great thing is for most of the movie he's the straight man in terms of the comedy, mm-hmm. and in this one battle scene he gets to be the punchline. Yeah, he's wearing a he's wearing like Napoleon Bonaparte's hat. Hats, yeah, which again adds to the fact that this is probably pre First Revolution France because that style of military war was already in vogue. But before Napoleon kind of was a big deal. And while this and while this happens, Gaston sneaks some the fuck how, despite being the most noticeable person in the room, s- sneaks past the fighting to go find the beast. Meanwhile, Belle and her dad, by the way, this is the moment where she just tells her dad that the beast is actually pretty cool and they should save him. And he says, yeah, okay. Yeah, all right, let's do that. Best dad ever. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, like I should say that I'm. I certainly hope that Marie's. Uh, at least I, I. I feel like I want to believe that when Belle was younger, Maurice would be like, "Well, uh, no, you can't do that," and this is why. And it's only when Belle got smarter than him that he was like, "Well, you're smarter than me, so you would know what's best." I don't think. I don't think Belle is necessarily smarter than him. I sort of see the relationship as. You know when a grown person takes care of their, like, 65-year-old parent? Oh, okay. You know, is, like... Kinda, kinda too old for their own good, but refuses to... Yeah, they can generally take care of themselves, but sometimes they need a little extra help. And so she goes and says, no, actually, the beast isn't that bad. And he says, oh, okay, the beast isn't that bad. Now I know that. Sort of like, hey, hey, dad, take your medicine. So watch as Chip casually commandeers an invention created to help to help make people's lives easier for wanton destruction. He has done what the military has done for ages and taken and taken nice, pleasant inventions and and turned them for war. And listen, let me say when you're when you're poised to become a military leader while taking down the bourgeoisie in the, during the French Revolution, then commandeering seemingly innocent machines for war. Yeah, he, perfect. He, he has a place in his future. <laughs> After he overthrows his prince. <laughs> yeah, Chip's real name: Napoleon Bonaparte. Dun dun dun. That's my fan fiction now. I'm keeping that one. That's a bad fan fiction. So Chip manages to uh, free Belle and Maurice, and Belle picks him up and decides to uh, jump onto Philippe and straight away run to the castle. Meanwhile, Gaston is killing the beast, and the beast does nothing. Yeah, the beast, it's it's so funny. Um, 
I love their face off in his in in the West Wing because the beast is fine to die. He's just laying there and Gaston this is the most interesting thing about Gaston's character in my mind. He didn't bring his gun. Gaston brought bows and arrows and a small knife, like a dagger, which makes me think is he doesn't want to ki- he does not want to kill the beast quickly. Or he wants to feel like he has overcome the beast. He doesn't want to use a gun and just win. He wants to murder this thing. So the beast looks like he's gonna, you know, just roll over and die. But it turns out when he gets shot with an arrow, yeah, you start just lashing out. So they get into something more like a real fight. Not really, though. Like, Like, at the end of the day, beast isn't trying that hard. Not yet. Yeah, he what he's doing is he's going on basic, right, instinctual survival, just survival instinct. I need to be alive. He doesn't want to, he doesn't really care about this random dude. And he consciously doesn't care about being alive, but he cannot stop himself from fighting to stay alive. But that's, but that's the thing, though, is uh, there's a line that Gaston has where he... He says he he yells like, "What's the matter? Are you too kind and gentle to fight me?" Which is so fucking shitty. Yeah, absolutely. Because what he hates about the beast is that Belle likes him, and she said he's not he's not horrible. He's kind and gentle, and Gaston's not kind and gentle, and he'll never be kind and gentle. And he sees that as weak. Yes, absolutely. He 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 doesn't understand why that's something she would enjoy. Likes. And now he thinks I can overcome this thing. There's a great moment where he is smashing gargoyles yeah. on the rooftops and the beast is hiding as one of the gargoyles. Yeah. Oh yeah. They have, they have that great fight and um But that's the thing though, is is the beast doesn't really start fighting back until Belle shows up and is and and yells for him. So there are moments when they get into like straight up arm wrestling, just pushing at each other, and it's pretty clear that the beast is way stronger than this dude. Yeah. But also that he is not trying to Fight. kill him as much as Gaston is trying to kill the beast. So Gaston is running on pure hatred and the beast is not feeling it until he sees Belle and gets this idea that, hey, maybe... She came back. Yeah, she came back. Maybe I don't have to die alone. He throws Gaston off the castle and Gaston gets in one good, like, kidney stab or something. Well, he, he, he... He throw he, Gaston kind of tackles him off the roof a little bit. Beast, oh, oh yeah. my gosh! Yeah, he doesn't. This is so important. He saves Gaston. Yeah, he saves Gaston. He doesn't kill him immediately. So you can have this moment with a person where you can be in a fight of any kind. It can even be just a game, but especially if you're really fighting. Yeah, where you can have a moment where you look at each other and know who won, and they have that moment, and it's. The beast has won, and the beast gives him the chance to walk away, because he, in his heart of hearts, is not a murderer, unlike Gaston. And here's the thing, is in this moment, Gaston is like a blubbering, pathetic coward. Like, don't hurt me, I'll do anything, please, I don't want to die. And like, like he's so, in this moment, pathetic. In this moment of, 
like all of the things that 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 the song his song earlier were touting about him have been taken away from him right and it's not that's true and it's not like when captain hook did it you know captain hook is always pathetic but gaston was pretending for so long to be so great and now that he has none of it he's just a shell of a human being and and the reason i think this matters is because again like you have this moment of gaston being like like look at me i've defeated you and then once the tables have turned he's like i'm sorry i won't do this again and and i don't know if you realize this but that that's an ironic echo because that's who the beast was all like 10 years ago yelling at this old woman and then when she turned on him and decided to curse him like i can only imagine that he must have also pleaded and asked her not to and asked her to forgive him and she didn't forgive him and his life has been a living hell ever since then so he decides to forgive gaston and he yells at him to get out and that that to me is like that to me is pivotal like this is a different person this character has gone through their arc that's his biggest defining moment and then Gaston stabs him and the is beast. knocked off the castle, I believe. And the Beast has a line that is very powerful and very problematic. And he says it to Beauty, or Belle, rather. He says, maybe it's better this way. And the reason this is a powerful line is because he has lived being a beast and cannot imagine not being a beast and just wants it over. And the reason, the reason it's a problematic line is... At the end of the day, this movie was pretty good about having Belle fall in love with the Beast before he was pretty. However, as soon as he had earned his beauty, he got beautiful. And Gaston, who had this unearned beauty, dies. So, this wouldn't be such a huge honkin' deal if it weren't for The Hunchback of Notre Dame. A movie where Quasimodo is the hero the whole movie... He was always the good guy, and he doesn't get the girl because he's ugly, and he's never going to not be ugly. And this is this is such a problem with Disney and Hollywood and just society in general yeah. about seeing people who don't look beautiful as lesser. And the only movie, <laughs> weirdly, weirdly, the only movie I've ever seen that handles that differently is Shrek. <laughs> Because it doesn't make the claim that someone not conventionally pretty is unlovable. But that, but okay, so Shrek, Shrek has its own various problems. But the thing about Shrek is Shrek didn't Shrek didn't intentionally seek out to subvert the trope. Shrek's mm-hmm. intent was to make fun of Disney movies by virtue of them trying like doing this. They managed to like it turns out by subverting Disney tropes, you end up subverting uh, problematic ideals in the Hollywood industry. But the thing is, is Shrek has its own boatload of problems. Shrek has Shrek has a few issues. Yes, not not an argument here. Arguably more issues. But it's just it's just oh, somebody on Twitter got me thinking about this. The this I this idea of earned beauty is kind of toxic if you the more you think about it. Because if you are an ugly person, if you don't look conventionally beautiful, if you have some awful mark or skin condition or something that's not gonna go away by you being a good person whether or not you're a good person it's just who you are and this it's a disney movie it was part of this original story from this old fairy tale it's not there are a lot of reasons for it to be here but it 
when you really stop and think about all the sort of cascading consequences of the idea, it's pretty rough. I think that this this is a problem more indicative of Hollywood than of Beauty and the Beast, because you're right, this idea of of earned beauty, of the fact that good people are beautiful and bad people aren't conventionally beautiful. Um, another problematic thing is uh, evil people are femininely beautiful, which is, again, still wrong, because it's not conventional masculine beauty. I, I do think this is more of a Hollywood issue because um, a lot of a lot of these writers are 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 white dudes, and a lot of these writers are, con- are fit that conventional stereotype and can't think outside of that box. There is definitely a split, a space, and a place for for a story in which a person earns their beauty, quote unquote, but doesn't become beautiful. And the the biggest issue I have with Beauty and the Beast isn't so much that isn't so much that it it enforces those those uh problems because it doesn't enforce them. It's that it doesn't subvert them, which I feel like it wanted yeah. to do, but it, it didn't was know how. To do and it didn't quite. Yeah. But and and again, this movie came out in 1991. They didn't know how to do it. Um and I think I think in a way conventional Hollywood still doesn't know how to do this. And I, I think it's going to it takes it takes a diversity. There are definitely indie movies and indie comics and spaces that have dealt with this in very beautiful ways. Swamp Thing, I think, is a big uh, a big example of this, which was a uh, started off as a kind of indie DC venture. But that's but that's and I think at the end of the day, that's not the story Beauty and the Beast wanted to tell. And it's unfortunate that that it all it, it, that it ends up being an example of this problem. Because it wants to be, and it is so much more than that problem. And that doesn't mean that problem isn't there. I can easily look at this movie and see that it has this problem, but also see that beyond that problem, it is still a beautiful, a, a worthy of accolade film. Yes, and it also, it has the problem, but it did deal with the problem very well. She never knows It's that, a time limit. That there's a time limit. She never knows about the prince. She just knows that her friend who she has come to love has just been stabbed and is dying yes and it's a good thing transformation sequences heal people so so here yeah here's the big thing though before we get to the transformation sequences um is uh if i if i had seen this movie in the theater because i don't i'm gonna i'm gonna admit to you i don't i didn't remember the ending to this movie and it's possible that because the first time i watched this movie as a kid i probably got up and did something else before it ended but if i had watched this movie in the theater holy shit they went all in with convincing you that the beast is dead like the music swells it's it holds the shot for just a little too long and you're just thinking The the pedal on the rose falls the last pedal yeah and you're just like he's gone and I'm not gonna lie, even though I knew he wasn't gonna be dead, I le- I was like tearing up. I was like, "Holy shit!" They they really went all in on this, and like it cuts to these reaction shots of all of these uh, of all of the cast, and just like it's kind of amazing that they were willing to go so into him being dead. Because I feel like in other Disney movies, they 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 try to do this again, but they pull away from it too soon. That ever since this movie, they've been afraid to commit to letting you think that a character has died. Which is a shame because this movie does it really well. I do like um I do like Rapunzel's panic singing of her song when putting her dead hair onto a onto Flynn's face. Yeah, oh that movie got that's so great. close to doing it again. That's that's that is amazing. I love I love the the 
the rules of the movie make her sing a song. Yeah. And she sings it desperately. That's, that's, that's great. And that's, that's for, that's a, that's a conversation for another day. Tangled, Tangled is so good. It's so good. Only wish. Like, like, again, I only wish that they held it a bit longer. Like, like I, that, that was my one, that was one of my few problems with Tangled is like, ooh, they, they, they should have went farther in on that. Because again, like, it feels like they just cut to him being actually okay a little too soon. Yeah, but you think that the, it feels like the Beast is dead for a, for a hot minute. Um, and then he gets a transformation sequence that heals him, which is good. And he is sort of, he is conventionally pretty. And that's sort of the long and short of it. He's kind of boring looking. Yeah, that's the thing is he, so here's, so, so I'm going to get into this now because here's the thing, right? Is the beast, while being a beast and being terrifying and being horrifying, you learn to love him because, because he's a character and you learn to love him with Belle. And what ends up happening is, is in your head, the beast becomes attractive. You know, in, um, in the second movie, originally it was going to be a sequel about the witch or the enchantress whatever um and they changed that because they said no people aren't going to like this having the prince we're gonna put the beast back in and i think that's true but also i wish they would have gone for that because because the, the the reason i think that is because here's the only reason i think that bell sings about how she wants adventure and we don't get to see what her adventure is we don't get to see anything after this I find that so frustrating from a character development standpoint. Um, if you're gonna make a sequel, you can make a good midquel. I think it's possible. Sure, maybe. Um, but a sequel tells you more about the character. And you know what? No, I fucking love Lion King one and a half. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, we can have I'm telling. I'm telling. I'm telling our listeners right now. It surely. I surely wish it was possible. For a good midquel to exist, it's too bad we have nothing. This fucking guy. It's too bad we have nothing. So, Belle, <laughs> I have I only have a few more notes about this movie. Well, actually, I did like uh, I did like Fox and the Hound two quite a bit. Wait, wait, wait. Fox and the Hound two is such a bad midquel. It is. It's, it's so terrible. bad at telling the story <laughs> of those people. It has nothing to do with those two characters. And all the parts that have something to do with them are awful like we're gonna be friends forever yeah everything's great <laughs> god i'm so glad that nothing can happen to us to break up our friendship looks at the looks at the viewers i know what i'm gonna be good at hunting, hunting. god damn it we're not even at the fucking second movie andy we're almost at the four hour mark Shh, it's fine <laughs> there's a moment where Belle idly runs her fingers through the prince's hair like she's still trying to adjust and i saw that and i in my mind she was thinking why the fuck is this nicer than mine <laughs> his hair is so much better animated what the fuck what how well what and i can tell you why by the way i can tell you why um it's because uh uh so the beast was the beast and the prince were both supervised by glenn keen who is okay. the absolute like head guy he's he he was the head animator on uh he was the head animator for i believe ariel in the little mermaid oh, okay he he did a lot of the supervising work on pocahontas which w- despite all of its problems is one of the most beautiful looking disney movies that they've put out 
I'll, yeah, I'll say this. It's got good animation. And and a lot of that was him. A lot of that was his hand. Like, he, 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 he was, pre- that was pretty much his, he was in charge of that movie's animation department. And he was also, he was also the head supervising animator for Tangled, which was the first Disney movie in a long time to look stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it came to see, it was the first CGI Disney movie that looked stunning, I should say. Um, because. Right, without Pixar's name on it. Well, yeah. Well, at the time, Pixar didn't belong to Disney. I don't think. Didn't. Or they had just they had just gotten folded in. But but I want to talk about Beast and and the Prince again because because so you learn to fall in love with the Beast throughout this movie, and my one and and because of that, you fall in love. You fall in love with him. You find him attractive, and so when the Prince shows like and don't get me wrong, when the Prince shows up, he's not he's not just a letdown. He's almost an entirely different character. He's just kind of somebody you don't want. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like there there's a lot they could have done to mitigate that. The first thing is they shouldn't have made him sound so much like a bitch. <laughs> the beast <laughs> Like the beast sounds so cool and you hear his voice the whole movie. And and the one time, the one time that the beast is you hear the beast speak without that like growl in his voice is when he's singing in his inner monologue and even that voice is so much deeper and like more has more baritone in it than the prince's final voice because the prince just shows up and he's like bell it's me and i'm like no who who the fuck are you you're just a guy get out of here here's an interesting question who the fuck is he who the fuck because is he? Because we literally never got his name. Um, and that's so weird because that means that Belle has had to... Call him the Beast the whole the time. The Beast! Call him the Beast instead of a name. A, I, want, like, I wonder if he does have a name. I don't think he does. I don't think he does. Because in the second movie, everybody calls him the Beast or Master or you. Oh, uh, Forte calls him my old friend. Like, obviously he doesn't have a name. Yeah. Are we moving on to the next scene, the final scene? No, not Finally, yet. Finally, after yet. four hours? Not yet. No? God damn, all right. All right, because... We'll camp out on this I want, I, for a I, while. I want to talk, talk about how they could have fixed this, because they're, I feel like, A, the voice, he, he should have definitely been... He should have definitely kept a little bit of that baritone in there when he became the prince, because a big part of... It, it would have it would have helped him be the same character if if he turns into the prince and his voice is the same but just doesn't have that growl in it anymore it's just him the other thing is they they definitely should have made his hair a bit less clean they should have made his hair a bit wilder you know what that makes sense yeah he is immediately like too pretty he is he's just a fucking little good boy not even yeah, not I, even I facial hair to, if they had they didn't need. I don't think they didn't give him facial hair so much as they should have taken whatever face they're going to give the prince and turned it into a beast face, because that way the beast would have had, you know, him underneath. Well, and that's the that's the thing though is from what I can tell, they definitely worked their way backwards on this one, where where they they designed where Glen Keane designed this beast. Um, and he and he wanted to make it look like something that was monstrous and animalistic and filled with anger. And then realized as the movie went on, oh, fuck, he's got to turn into a human. Yeah, he's got to be a human person later and it's not going to look anything like him. 
and at that point there's nothing they can do really that would be satisfying and i would and i and i'm not asking that they design a prince that somehow looks as hot as the beast because it's not going to happen but okay we can dissect that later but i would i would ask that they at least take uh, as many steps as possible to make the prince seem like the same character because the one the one feature that the prince has that the beast has is that his eyes are the same shape and are still blue so now we can move on to the final scene in this movie. <laughs> oh, now we now we can move on to the final scene. We got Here's there. Here's my question about we, this final scene. We made it. How does that coat still fit him? It's a different coat, obviously. It's okay. It's a different, exactly the same coat. That's yes. Fine. Well, I just or alternatively, just it out there. Alternatively, the the spell, the curse, obviously mutated all of his wardrobe and clothing oh, so that God. it would fit. I mean, maybe, but also he probably had a living needle and thread to fix all of his clothes. So. Oh yeah, probably. I am told this ending wedding <laughs> sequence is taken uh, straight out of Sleeping Beauty. It, uh, it a little bit, yeah. No, I mean like literally, like they didn't have time to finish and they needed a sort of closing scene. So they took Sleeping Beauty, they took the final scene from Sleeping Beauty, put it there, and then put the right characters on top of it. I'm told that that's actually what happened. I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I've seen Sleeping Beauty. It's possible. Let me see. Yeah, definitely shoot me that link, but I'm I'm trying to find out if if, if that is in fact a thing that happened. Yeah, I mean, it looks like recycled animation, but I honest to god, I don't know how you recycle animation like that? So, um, so the, the, it is possible and it is done a lot because the way you do it is norm, is you'll over, because, okay, so the hardest part about animation is the, uh, is what they call the, uh, timing and the, uh, framework. So, so you set up the timing and you set up the framework in order to have your character do a specific action. If you already have an action drawn out, you can re, you can take those old frames and those old stills and redraw the redraw each and every frame so that it's a different character and in a sense reuse that animation so somebody else already did all the quote-unquote hard work for you by doing all of the in-between work and all of the uh key framework all you need to do is redraw it so that it's a different reusing animation does work and it does happen a lot and it has happened in other disney movies i know cinderella has a reused uh reused shot or no beauty and the beast does have a reused shot from cinderella or something along those lines yeah um it does happen that's interesting um i mean i i realize it happens it's it's interesting that that is both a cor both a corner that they can get away with cutting and a corner that somehow they figured out hey this is how we could do this to cut it um i don't think the final scene is that interesting you get to see all the all the characters no longer objects. Which... Cogsworth and Lumiere fighting as people, and then Lumiere goes, runs off to fuck the maid, which, you know, I guess they've earned it. Finally. Um, Finally. We can <laughs> um, procreate the way we wanted to. You get a dog, you, you get the dog running around as a dog, Chip and Mrs. Potts, and everybody's happy, and then... The prince and Belle are dancing, and it's, again, not quite clear if this is just a celebratory dance or a wedding or what. Then the movie ends. Then the movie ends, yeah. And I sincerely hope that all of the people dancing and celebrating at the end of that movie are 
I, I always imagine that it's just the staff and and Maurice because fuck that town. I hope they're all dead. <laughs> fuck that town. <laughs> I hope they die of plague and syphilis. The end. God, I can't believe we so talked about this movie for was, four hours. That was a fucking ordeal. I don't think we have ever done anything quite that crazy. Four hours. Four hours. Holy shit. It and there's a lot there's a lot more we can talk about when it comes to this movie. Yeah, this one's a deep dive. If you I was gonna say if you want to do something like cut out half of this <laughs> like we could we could like do a two weeker or something. No, but that's but I, here's the thing. I'm going to cut this and edit this with with timestamps for if you want to cut this into three episodes for you, here's where you cut it, you're good. Because I'm down to release a six, what might be a I six don't know hour. If we can do a six hour episode, man. <laughs> <laughs> what if we released a six hour that episode be... in time for this movie and then just let everyone know, hey, we're not going to release anything for about a month. That's our episode for the year. <laughs> what, what more do you want? How harder do we have to work? <laughs> Uh, I think we should take a break. Do you want to take a break? There's something sweet and almost kind But he was mean and he was coarse and unrefined and now he's dear and so unsure I wonder why I didn't see it there before She glanced this way I thought I saw and when we touched she didn't shudder at my paw no, it can't be, I'll just ignore But then she's never looked at me that way before Who'd have thought? Well, bless my soul. Well, who'd have known? Well, who indeed? And who'd have guessed they'd come together on their own? It's so peculiar. Well, wait and see. A few days more. There may be something there that wasn't there before. Well, perhaps there's something there that wasn't there before. There may be something there that wasn't there Time for the second half of this recording. For the listeners, we stopped recording 
because we had recorded four hours four. of Beauty and the Beast. I I'm very interested in what what and what I end up cutting this down to. Pro- I'm probably going to end up cutting this down to fifteen minutes. <laughs> no, uh, I seem to be able to get three hours down to one and a half. So I could probably get this down to two as the last part down to two, maybe two and a half hours. Which if you could seems if you could more manage that. That could that could still be a one episode podcast if we wanted to be like, bam, big episode, and then but you get and you we'll get just, and now you get nothing for a month because so we'll just fuck we'll you just guys. See. I mean, I still have some I still have some DVD extras. All right, so so, so now let's okay. All right, now for the again for the listeners, I now have my window open because I had just spent four hours in here in the desert. Uh, without my window open, and screw you guys and your good sound quality. Oh my god, is that what that noise is? I do hear a breeze. Do you? I do. Is it bad? Do I need to close my window? I'll do it, but I'm gonna be mad about it. Don't, don't do it. No, no, really. It's actually much nicer in here since I opened the window. I can probably go for the hour and 45 minutes that we do this yeah far. we're definitely not talking about this movie for more than an hour and a half so if you can deal with that i shouldn't whistle while we're recording do people not like the sound of whistling uh i think it just doesn't sound right when it's on a recording do you want to know the depths of my madness probably because of sleep deprivation <laughs> um when you said that, I, like, gave a look to the microphone. Like, me and the microphone were in on a joke. <laughs> I remember hearing on uh, on another podcast I was listening to that somebody would, apparently would mug the microphone because they, hadn't, they didn't have a person or an audience <laughs> to look at. And because they were stand-up comedians, they needed to mug at something. <laughs> and apparent, That's so terrible. And apparently because they've been podcasting for so long that they got into a bad habit of mugging the microphone while they were doing stand-up comedy. <laughs> yes, perfect. Okay. Oh my god, I can't believe it. All right, so Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas. Um, Like I said, I... Now, now, Andy, it kind of sounds like you're trying to speed through this. I don't. And... I, what I want to point out is I I literally just finished watching this movie what now seems like a lifetime ago, uh, six hours ago. Christ! Honest to God, I don't know how we spent four hours talking about Beauty and the Beast. I mean, I had a lot of thoughts, but I didn't think that they would outpace the actual movie. movie yeah. We talked about how this movie was going to be a sequel, so that note is useless. And so this movie <laughs> opens on a scene... <laughs> So this this movie opens on a scene that is the castle after the curse has been lifted. But it doesn't introduce the scene at all, and it made me think that it was the castle before the curse had been enacted. That's what I thought too. Yeah, that was so... that was poorly done. Yeah, it took me a little bit to realize, like, no, this is this is a way later. Oh, this is... You know what? We'll get to it when we get to it. So, what I want to talk <laughs> about right now is how fucking weird Lumiere looks. Like, it, it, at That's the, the thing. End... Lumiere always looked a little bit weird as a person. And it's because... because... He had the perfect face for a candlestick. 
<laughs> I'm gonna. I really hope someday I can meet somebody and look at them and go, you know, you have the perfect face for a candlestick. <laughs> um. What what I wanna what I wanna bring up it and, and, and I think I think Lumiere like the Beast suffers from oh shit we designed this character and now we have to turn him back into a human <laughs> God yeah damn exactly it. Mrs Potts and Chip both look okay everybody else is kind of like eh oh do you know who else just looks fine too uh you know what no I can't bring her they show her. You know who else they show? Okay, so at the beginning of this movie, I there there's a cut. So it, the the introduction of this is that the the servants and the staff of of the castle are celebrating Christmas, and it's their first Christmas that they that they got to celebrate as uh, being human again. And it's a good song. It's a, it's a fantastic waltz, by the way. So, so the cast. So, sorry, the cast. I keep calling them the cast when I need to say the staff. The staff it's of the castle. The staff. the staff of the castle are celebrating Christmas, and and Chip. He wants to open a present early. Yeah, right? he wants to open a present early. But Lumiere and Cogsworth start arguing over over who who saved Christmas. Right. Uh, each of them kind of saying, "It was me." No, no, it was me. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Cogsworth and Lumiere is I don't see them as at the at the end of the at the end of the first movie they kind of did there kind of was this rival rivalry thing but sort of throughout the movie I didn't really see them as having a rivalry it was Cogsworth is straight-laced and Lumiere ignores him that's not the same thing as being rivals yeah I I I just kind of got the sense that they were friends at odds but at the end of the day, they both want the same goal, and they both want each other to succeed, so there's no real rivalry. And But they really played up the idea that these two had a rivalry in this one. And that's something you'll get with a lot of Disney sequels. Uh, a watered-down version of complicated um, character interactions. In fact, yeah. we're going to be seeing a few more of those, so yeah. stay tuned. So... Um, Mrs. Potts then decides to tell the story behind Christmas as a conscientious objector, and 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 Chip is, and Chip is super interested in like listening to what happened, even though he was fucking there. Yeah, listening to this story about last Christmas, like what happened a year ago. We go to we flash back uh, to the to the middle of the last movie. But do we, though? Because let me throw in my first note about this, this little bit. This is a different fucking castle. Have you, this castle is like, there's hardwood everywhere, and there are no, there are no gargoyles, there's nothing on the ceiling, there's nothing on the walls, it's dark. Listen, man, you know what's expensive when you're animating? Good backgrounds and lights. Hey, I have a question. Is it expensive to steal from the old movie that had this castle fucking mapped? Because it seems like it wouldn't be. I don't think I don't think that the people who animated this movie had access to uh the, had access to it. They keep on they just show these big hallways and big rooms and there's nothing in, in them. them. It is fucking absurd. Oh, this is by far the 
ugliest of the movies that I've seen. I just didn't like Kronk's New Groove. It doesn't mean it was ugly. Yeah, Kronk's New Groove wasn't <laughs> Kronk's New Groove wasn't ugly. It was just bad. This movie isn't. Well, it's bad, but it's not bad. Well, this movie, this movie is not the type of bad that Kronk's New Groove or Balto Two were. Yeah, this movie's watchable. Yeah, this is a different level. This is more like fuck. Um, this movie has such an interesting villain. Fuck off, yeah. Balto Two. Hey, Balto oh my Two. God. Balto Two. Shove your poor use of Mark Hamill straight up your ass because right. Tim Curry strolled up in this bitch and owned it. He owned it. He took it. He took it all the way home. Tim Curry was amazing in this movie. Oh my god, he's so good. This was he could have he could have won a fucking Oscar for this okay. performance. Let's hold up a bit. He could have won two Oscars. I'm, I might be building it up a little bit. No, you're no, you are right. He is fantastic in this it's just that against everybody else who most of them do a fine job you know not but it's not not great not terrible it's fine and he is just the whole time playing it 100 percent. he so has it but we have not met him yet we have not we we, get oh i just saw the note that i had for this what happens next so uh uh, at, right after Beast decides to save Belle from the wolf pack, Belle is, gets excited about Christmas. Um, but then... And here's the thing, I'm gonna say this up front, but I didn't notice it until later. This is a fucking secular movie. Christmas... So, first off, Christmas is a uh, primarily Christian holiday, but you have a lot of Christmas specials that are sort of all-encompassing. You know, so anybody can watch them and say, yeah, alright, that works. Um... But this movie has a lot of... They kept flashing up to, like, a big star floating above the castle. Yeah. And that was weird for a Disney movie. I kept expecting Linus to show up and start talking about what... And start talking about the angels appearing before the shepherds and stuff. It was out of sync. Yeah, it... The the level of that kind of symbolism really doesn't make sense because Christmas is a very complicated holiday because Christmas as it exists today, as we think of it, is very Protestant based and very and very capitalist pushed. It's very capitalist pushed. The whole what I hadn't known for a long time was that um, like I knew the tree thing was a pagan thing. But what I hadn't known is that it's such a recent pagan thing that in some places they still put fairies on top of the tree instead of angels. So there's just, it's, you know, it grew and it absorbed all this other stuff. And in that way, it could be, you can make a Christmas movie and not make it just Christian. But this, it didn't feel like that. It you, That's not true. It did feel like that. It did feel like a Christmas movie that wasn't supposed to be Christian, but they kept on tossing in random Christian imagery. And I, I think a big part of that is just the people animating this movie probably come from Christian and classically Protestant backgrounds. You know, what else are they going to do? Belle's excited about Christmas. She's very um, excited she, about it. She has to, like, tell Chip about it because they don't celebrate Christmas at the castle anymore. And we're going to go over that bit at Ugh, some point. When we get there. I, I, there's a handful of issues with that. 
Beast forbade Christmas from happening. You're going to have to help me out because my next note is about skating. Does she go skating? Yeah, she teaches him how to ice skate. <laughs> yeah, that was terrible. It was terrible. I hated, I hated it as well. It was like it was like the snowball fight scene, except not good and terrible. So it was nothing like it. And also, here was the important thing to me. No, that's not true. The, the fact that the scene was terrible was very important. The other important thing was that there was no fucking ice in the first movie. There was no pond. Yeah, this this thing could not have happened. They moved her to another castle and erased her mind. Is the only possibility. Or this movie's just badly no nope. badly planned and animated. No, 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 no. That's gonna be my fan theory. <laughs> you can have whatever fan theory you want. Yeah, we'll talk about how it was poorly planned when we get to the forbidding Christmas thing. So they go skating, and it's this happy, jolly, they're having fun, they're bonding as they're, yeah people. people. And and it cut. We kind of pan cut to this pipe organ playing this introduction to the best character incredibly depressing piece while i have to look at incredibly depressing cgi so it was very apt yeah here's the thing it was very bad cgi i kind of got used to it by the end i never i never got used to it every time i saw him it was like i was staring at a grim dark alternative universe I I hated yeah I hated how terrible his CGI was, but I understood why there is terrible CGI in a giant piano in this movie. That made sense. I don't. I I. So what my note here says is yes, giant definitely evil piano Tim Curry is here. He's he will save Christmas. Oh, so evil. He is yeah. the most evil. There is never a moment in this movie where you think. Oh. Hey, maybe he's not evil. Maybe he's a good person. Nope, never. Never once. He is right into it. And we'll get to how evil he is. But before we get there, um, uh, he his peace is interrupted by an applause from Fife, who is a a tiny little piccolo. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I guess his apprentice. Yeah. And Forte kind of tells Fife, listen, I hear people, what does he say? Is that fun I'm hearing? Yeah, Fuck. something like that. Tim Curry has so much fun with these lines. Holy shit. Yeah. He's... Ugh. So he he sent, he tells Fife, if you go out and you, and you spy for me, I'll let you have a solo in my orchestra. Well, n- no. That's not quite what happens. Because Fife tells him that it's ice skating going on out there. And he tells Fife to stop them from ice skating. Because I think, if I'm remembering right, he is afraid that Belle will make Beast break the curse. But I don't know if that's in this part that he believes that. Is that in this part? No. Maybe this is, um, he just doesn't want it outside his window then. Yeah, I think at this point he just doesn't want it outside his window. But he he does tell Fife to sabotage their fun. Mm -hmm. Fife decides to go out onto the ice and trip them, sort of? Yeah, it doesn't really... Look, cards on the table. This was a bad fucking scene. It was it's really bad. a shadow of a monster. the original scene. Oh. Did you say the shadow of a monster? That's a line in this scene. At the end of this scene. 
I thought Is you were gonna. Yeah, I thought you were no. referencing. I thought you were referencing it because the scene ends with Belle making like a snow angel, and Beast looks down at the ground and he's like, "Oh yeah, that snow angel. It's the shadow of a monster." And then he like like scratches at the snow and runs away. Yes, actually, you know what? I'm looking at my notes, and Tim Curry or Forte definitely did talk about how he didn't want the curse to break this early. He says, uh, since he transformed into a pipe organ. It used to be that his that his songs were so depressing that the prince didn't want to hear them. But now that he's a fucking monster piece of shit, he loves listening to his music. He says there is only escape. And he has willingly he he is glad to have given up his humanity and even he has paid more than any other um any of the other servants because he has no freedom. Yeah, yeah, because he has no freedom. He is bolted to the wall. Purely for the approval of his master. Although, as discussed, also for immortality. Because he can live forever as a pipe organ. Mm-hmm. For, forever compose. But that's the thing is, is forever composing pieces for a solo audience. Which I feel like as a musician would, would well, I guess not for him, but for most musicians would be a depressing, awful existence. Because you want to compose for as big of an audience as possible, I would think. Um, I think he enjoys having an awful existence. He enjoys awfulness. I think, yeah, I think he enjoys his own misery to a certain extent. I can get that. I, I except I can't. No, I can't. I can't. Well, I think he uses it to, you know, write. I, I also have written down pity fife. It must be hard to be turned into a piccolo when your master became a hulking pipe, pipe organ. organ with magic powers. Yeah, you know what? We're gonna let that slide for a little bit, just like the movie did. Just like the movie, like. Yeah. Sort of showed off that he might have magic powers, then went away from it for a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna back away from that and the fact that they did not tell us he was going to be magic. <laughs> they they hint- um, yeah they hinted at it, but then you think oh it was probably just a weird crazy little thing. Yeah, I like when it first happened. I thought is this an animation trick? Yeah, you know, it- is this just is this just this is how the animator is showing me that something is happening. Because of him, not necessarily because of green magic. Anyway, but yeah. Beast freaking out over his own impression of the on the snow is a pretty good character choice. It is. It makes sense. It's not. It's not exactly subtle, but it works. I. It. it it's efficient at getting him to you know do the thing where he gets mad and leaves. You said when we were going over the original scene that Beast has forgotten all the terrible shit that he is for a moment. And it's great because it illustrates how quickly he can be reminded of that. It doesn't take much. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, and I, and a big part of that is just cause like his, him looking like a beast is a big fucking stamp of you fucked up bad. So beast goes off to listen to Forte's music alone, but bell and chip decide to celebrate Christmas yeah, I have a thing. I, I I have a thing to just run run in here. I don't know if you noticed this. Yeah, Bella has like a weird blush on her cheeks the whole movie. That's like too high and just always there. And I don't know what they were going for. Me neither. It it was very Pinocchio weird. Yeah, yeah. It was it was weird. I guess she was trying something new for <laughs> Christmas. I guess. <sighs> okay, so Bella and Chip. So Bell and so uh, so Bell and Chip decide to rally up the staff and and celebrate and decorate for Christmas. Where and that and so after this rallying, uh, Lumiere decides to take 
Belle to the attic where they meet Angelique. Whoa, 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 whoa. I understand. I absolutely understand why you want to rush through this. I don't want to rush through this. This is what I remember. Okay, that's funny because usually I let you like go through the movie. I'm just gonna I'm gonna let you go through this like, one. Give, so you seem to remember notes. it better, and then I'll I'll pitch in. I just I just like have shit written down, man. So before that, Belle, I think with Chip's help, writes and binds a book. Right, for that's Beast. right. She 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 writes a storybook for him. Yes, and she sings a song. Okay, she sings a song about the wonder of books, and it's an okay song. No, it's not, dude. It's a pretty good song compared to the other bullshit song that they insist on singing twice. Okay, so here's the thing is, while I agree with you that the other song that is sung twice is worse, both of these, like, the only good music in this movie are are the organ pieces and Forte's entire just love is awful piece. That's it. Don't fall in love. Every um, every other piece of music in this film feels like it's off-key and... And that its uh, melody is just rushed and sloppy. Fine, 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 fine. Whatever. It's a mediocre song. The point is, it sounds like a love song. And her character should not be there. She shouldn't be singing a love song. Even if it's about how she can get the beast to love books. Because that's not the point. That's not where she's supposed to be at. The, the place she should be right now is... This guy's kind of cool. Yeah, it's just kind of cool. Just kind of hanging out. We're chill. We're just gonna see how. We're just gonna see where this goes. Yeah. Well, hopefully it goes somewhere nice. Yes, I actually like the illustrations in the stories song. Yeah, they they look good. They look much better than the rest of the film. Yeah, I thought they they looked kind of like references to they they were references to old stories, right? But they were illustrated in the same way that Bell's favorite book was. Sort of in that style, which I, I enjoyed. That was a good little nod or throwback. And the song also establishes Belle as a writer, which she never is in the in the first movie. As a writer and an artist. Yes, and that is interesting. That's not necessarily good or bad, it is interesting. It gives it gives her something else. Yeah, you know, it's like, hey, she's also she's not she doesn't just love reading stories, she loves making them, maybe. I don't know. And mm-hmm. It, it's something that could be that could have been worth pursuing, but they don't really pursue it. So they kind of just use it as a way to move the plot forward. They're talking. She's trying to convince people to go behind Beast's back and celebrate Christmas. To celebrate Christmas, and I have this written down. Christmas is a hard time for a lot of people, and the Beast is a literal beast. So you know what? I kind of fucking get it. It's weird that Belle is so uncaring about his position about Christmas. A lot of people have a hard time at Christmas. You can't just say it's great. Sometimes it does suck. <laughs> yeah, you can't just say, fuck your problems. I'm going to celebrate Christmas anyway. Because that's what Christmas is about, is celebrating it. Is but that, here's the thing. Is that the lesson this movie's teaching us? It kind that, of is. That and listen to Tim Curry. Don't fall in love. Because that's the most convincing argument that this movie has. Don't fall in love? It's fucking beautiful. <laughs> We'll get Ooh, there. We want to so much. It's the one thing about we this do. movie that I want to we get do. to. We want to get back to Tim Curry. But he's not well, he's <laughs> not here with he's not with us yet. He's gonna he's gonna be in uh, Love at Treasure Island, so that'll be fun. They win Cogsworth over with food. He hasn't eaten in a decade. This is untenable. He still can't eat. He's still a fucking He clown. still can't eat. This is absurd. But they oh. decide the way they win Cogsworth over is by telling him about pudding. 
Which, okay, so here's where that's really fucked up because the last movie doesn't really make that a thing. Like, they mention that he's a bit, like, that, yeah, because you're a clock, you're a bit wider than normal. Uh-huh. You, you, you've let yourself get a gut. Uh, being a lazy clock, I think, is a line in the old in the original yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And they call him wound up. Yeah, but there's nothing like there's nothing like, like oh, because you must eat a lot because you're fat. They they don't do Cause that. Because you're, you're fat, fat. But they don't do that. But then this movie, it's like, well, obviously the fat character has got to be won over by food. He's not even that fat. He's a fucking no, clock. No, he's not. He's just, he's pretty thin. He's just kind of like broad. He's just kind of a clock. It is absurd and terrible and i hated it he cannot eat anyway i can't believe this movie fat shamed a clock (laughs) he's a fucking clock fuck what am i even doing here andy if you're gonna just bring in stuff like that (laughs) i can't run the podcast alone man apparently not you forgot that they fat shamed the clock i did Um, so then they go into the attic they do they go into the attic and then we meet angelique which is apparently is who should be who should be the craziest character in this movie and kind of isn't because she lives in the attic because she became a christmas angel she's the castle decorator she could still be decorating the castle, but no, she is a Christmas angel, so she stays in the attic, apparently forever, because they no longer celebrate, celebrate Christmas. Christmas. They, she has been alone with with only Christmas ornaments to keep her company, and maybe sometimes Lumiere when he remembers she's up there and needs somebody to mac on. Yeah, okay, well here's the other thing. While we're on the subject... Hey, Lumiere has a love interest? No, you you have to remember that Lumiere is self-described as a player. Yeah, I know. With a, I, a woman is, on each arm. This is true, but it is also a Disney movie. And also, he like sort of max on her and then forgets about her. For the rest of the movie. For the rest of the movie. And it's so fucking weird. It is very she's, weird. She's, she's like his Christmas girlfriend. We, She's we, going back in the attic at the end of this. We only date when we are together for Christmas. I, my French accent is terrible. Is it though? I think so. I'm, I'm like 90% <laughs> sure that that's not what French people sound like at all. Then he goes back to boning the feather duster. This is... Candle sticking <laughs> the feather duster? Can Okay, can we pretend that I didn't say that and that you didn't have a follow-up? For... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, we can. Okay, great. So he, he like, starts macking on this Christmas ornament, and she's, like, kind of into it, but also kind of not into it. Well... Which is its own set of problems. I can understand how she, how she might feel like it's a little hot and cold with Lumiere, considering, you know, when they're together, it's so great. But when they're apart, she's locked in a fucking attic. For 364 days. <laughs> yes. And she, Belle sings a Christmas song, which is... So fucking bad. It's really bad. Oh my god. It is. It is. Oh. Grinding. I, I'm not gonna lie. I spent a lot of this movie doing other stuff. The only times I was actively paying attention to this movie was when I, the moment Tim Curry opened his mouth, I was like, ooh, I'm back in. And Tim Curry's gone. All right, cool. I can like wash dishes now. It's a very, it's a very bad Christmas song. It has the most like trite overused lines you'll ever hear in a christmas Christmas song song. 
about like peace on earth and all this other goodwill towards men yeah, and just... feather dusters and candlesticks yeah a, 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 a giant load of bullshit and while she's singing this song the servants have for reasons completely baffling to me built a mock christmas tree and then wrapped angelique in a ribbon and despite her many protests stuck her on top and then it all falls over because yeah. it's not a real fucking it's not christmas a real tree, tree. And then she says, all right, you guys decorate for Christmas if you think you fucking can. And she sort of pouts and gets out of there because she doesn't want anything to do with this bullshit. She kind of fucks off for the rest of the movie. That's that's the weird thing. I remembered her being a character in this movie. And it turns out she's kind of not. Yeah. So here's the thing. So now we flashback. When do we get... This is the flashback. Okay, yes. So here's here's the thing. Here's the thing about this flashback. Here's the thing about this flashback is that it ruins the timeline. Does it ruin the timeline? It ruins, That's what I thought. It ruins the timeline. Absolutely ruins the timeline cuz you I said it must be at the end of the year cuz I thought it was at Beast's birthday, but then in this movie it happens on Christmas. It happens on Christmas. So maybe the maybe the rose wilts at the end of the year, but no. No, it's just a fucking terrible timeline that they utterly destroy the other thing the other thing is that they didn't even really try to make beast look younger or the prince look younger yeah he looks like a teenager like maybe he's maybe he's in his 20s he's like slouching more he looks like he looks like a 23 year old actor pretending to be a teenager that's what he looks like. And here's the problem with that. Here's the big problem with that. Is because, you remember how at the end of the last movie, I was like, you know, the prince is kind of a bitch. But if he's the beast, I guess he's the beast. And now we get to see the prince. And guess what? The prince acts like a total fucking asshole. Yeah, you know what? We know he's, we know he's spoiled, so I get it. But all of his servants came together to buy him a fucking, fucking gift. Buy him a gift. And it's a storybook. He has all of the money. he doesn't like... Let me be fair for a second. Dude can't read. As we've established, even though this movie tears that apart... Ruins the timeline. it. It ruins the timeline. And then he has Forte playing some music, and he says, Oh no, this is too depressing. And then he answers the door, and oops. It's an old... Here's the thing that bothered me. About the first movie, actually. Why does the prince answer the door? Yeah, you would think that his, I don't know, head waiter, Lumiere, would answer the door. That's his fucking job. Literally anyone else can do it. You would think Cogsworth, the guy in charge of talking to people who don't need to talk to the prince, would answer the fucking door. What the fuck? Yeah, that was, um... (laughs) We're gonna move past this terrible scene, if that's okay with you. The last thing I want to say is just Forte as a human being looks like the most evil motherfucker. I don't remember what he looks like. Do you remember? Does okay. he look like? Do you remember how the? It... Do you remember how the how the asylum dude looked like in the last movie? He looks way fucking worse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, give me a sec. I'm googling. This. I was about to like Google him, and then I thought I'm never gonna find that. <laughs> I'm I'm googling it right the fuck now. Here it is. I found it. Okay. What'd you type in? Here, give me a sec. I'm going to copy the image address and send it to you. Here you go. That should get you there. He looks like a goddamn snake pretending to be a human being. All right, let's see here. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. You know what? He looks a lot like his giant weird mask thing. Like, it looks like you could take, you could pull his face off and stick it on the piano. That's... And he would look... And you know what? That's definitely what they did. Yeah. Think about it. Well, this is... They didn't exactly break their backs trying to redesign these characters. No, they didn't. They really didn't. So... Oh, it should be noted that since Angelique became a literal angel, she just looks like herself. But... With wings. But with wings, yeah. So, as far as these things go... If she hadn't let herself be locked up in the attic for years at a time, she would she would pretty much be getting off like a bandit. Yeah, pretty much. Because everyone else has to deal with being a teapot or a clock. She just has to deal with being a small wings. human. I'm a small human with wings. That's awesome. Yeah, she got off pretty good, except for the fact that she's locked up in the attic 364 days a year. But that seems to also be her own choice. She could just leave. Yeah, nobody's stopping her. Maybe she's as depressed as Beast is. Yeah, probably. So we come back and Belle is in the boiler room trying to find a Yule log. And we meet my other favorite character. (sighs) Yes, actually, yes. I hope the... The The axe. Jewish axe. Yes. The, like, stereotypically Jewish accent. He yeah. was great. He's fantastic. I fucking love him. Oh, I wrote down his line. What am I paying you for? Being boring? Do that on, on your, your own, own time. time. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. So, so the one thing I want to point out about the axe is that the axe is, uh... The voice actor for the axe is the voice actor, or used to be the voice actor for Johnny Bravo. Okay, see, I looked him up because I wanted to see who was the one character besides Forte that I liked in this movie. And I did not recognize him uh, from anything, but apparently he is a, he was in um, Enchanted as the chipmunk. That's actually, huh, interesting. That makes sense. Yeah, but, but he, I, I, I said I didn't recognize him from anything, but he has had... Basically, he's one of those voice actors that has had voice acting roles in everything. So if you have watched a television show, and he was he was fucking good. <laughs> Tim Curry were giving it their giving it their all. Really, this. really hitting for the fences. I swear. Beast shows up. He does. While Belle is picking out a Yule log. Yep. And I'm pretty sure he tells her to go fuck off, and he takes the log from her. <laughs> That's exactly what he does. Yeah. And here's the thing. I don't know how you feel about Yule Logs. I don't even know what that is. Okay, so you live in New Mexico, is the thing. Even, yeah, even back east, I don't think people used Yule Logs very very much anymore. The basic idea of it is that you just burn a log and it looks nice. People have, um, I don't, I honestly don't know if that wishes thing that she said in, uh, yeah, I remember that. And the thing, I don't know if I don't know if that's even a real thing because I don't know if anybody burns Yule logs anymore. Do you know what the Yule log channel is? Yeah, I know exactly what the Yule log channel is. Okay, yeah, that's what everybody uses now. Like that's yeah. I don't know what oh. the last time was somebody burned a Yule log. Like yeah, the only so thing I know funny. about Yule logs is that around Christmas time, Netflix has a Yule log movie. Yes, three. Three distinct Yule Log I'm movies. so glad that Netflix has three. One, to, they fill your every Yule Log need. 
Didn't even I didn't even know that I had it, but they filled it. So it's weird that that was the like Christmas thing uh, that they latched onto. Thing that they decided to put in. There's a lot of Christmas traditions. They didn't need to pick that one. So so because yeah. So Beast takes her Yule log and puts it back. I guess I can't remember what he does with it. Yeah, I think he just takes it. Maybe he sits on it later. God knows he has a big enough stick up his ass in this movie. I'll tell you what. I kind of liked, just as a size perspective, because you don't actually often get to see the sheer difference in their size. But she picks up the Yule log in two hands, and he just grabs it in one, like completely encloses it in one, and that that was kind of cool. It's very intimidating, but, but it's not actually important. It's just it was just kind kind of interesting because that's not something that was focused on at all in the last movie. The fact that they were hugely different in size was kind of incidental to the rest of the stuff that was happening. Uh, definitely. After after this, uh, Chip and Belle decide to go look for a Christmas tree with Axe. That's not his name, is it? Yeah, his name is Axe. It's just Axe. Not even Axel or something that's not just uh, the name of his tool. But to be fair, this movie also named the organ Forte, Forte, and, and yeah. the Piccolo Fife. So not exactly. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, they, they're not exactly doing a hundred percent on their naming schemes here. So they go out to find a Christmas tree. They search all the grounds. Well, before and they before find their, they before we get to that, they leave. Uh, they leave a present in the West Wing and Beast's room for him. Oh yes. By the oh, yeah, you know what? That's fucking crazy. Because if we look at the timeline, she got she got scared out of that room and into a pack of wolves fucking yesterday. And now it's now she's suddenly cool just wandering in and leaving a gift? Yeah, I don't think so. That is crazy. Now so they 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 find kind of a pitiful little Charlie Brown Christmas tree to cut down. Mhm. And actually, every tree they find is a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. They look, they search the whole grounds. Sorry, I was going to say, further proving my theory that this curse definitely extends to the castle grounds. But they start... Well, so they start chopping the tree down, which Axe is actively against. Well, he... they're using his face as a chopping tool. Yeah, but he's like... He's like sort of that old man Jewish complaining. <laughs> no! Like, no, it's fine! <laughs> Get on with it! Why haven't it's you? It's just my nose. Why haven't you started yet? You probably don't even know what a headache is. No, no, don't ignore me. It's not like what I say matters. It's yeah, stuff like this. That that scene won me over. I was I was actually <laughs> chuckling at some of those lines. Like <laughs> that's pretty. He, good. he 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 made the movie fun. Um, but they get interrupted because Bell starts hearing the music of Forte. Forte. And goes to check it out. And... And then she goes in and meets Beast's best friend, Forte, who is definitely not an obviously evil giant pipe organ. He is the mo... Listen, Belle, honey. I thought... I, I like to think you're a good judge of character because you got the idea that Gaston is a piece of shit motherfucker. Like, immediately. But here... Yeah, down. But here's the thing. That sh- if you can pass that bar, you should be able to easily look at this guy and think, you know, he probably has ulterior motives, this guy. 
And you know what? It doesn't matter if he has ulterior motives, because no matter who he is, the advice he gave her is insane. Because what he says is, oh, you've done all this decorating for Christmas. How delightful. You should go get a tree out of the forest where wolves just attacked you. Again, just attacked you. Like yesterday. They definitely haven't left yet. And she says, oh, I don't know. I promised Beast I would stay in the grounds. That's not the problem here. The The problem problem is is that you are going to fucking die. From wolf death. (laughs) That's the third Balto movie. Balto 3, wolf death. But the, th- the problem is, is wolves don't actually die until the end of the movie. And then there's more movie after that, though, still? This joke has gone on too long. Dude. <laughs> no fucking way she goes back out there because the piano tells her to. That is crazy. God help me. It is 6 a.m. and I do not like this movie. No, it's cool. She, Belle's just gonna go go into a suicide mission. I spiked my, my hot chocolate with coffee to see if that would help, and it did. So, yeah, Belle decides to fucking, like... Should you be drinking coffee at 6 a.m.? Probably not, but who cares? You know what? I'm not your mom. Yeah, I was gonna say, who's gonna stop me? I'm an adult. I live by myself with four (laughs) other adults. They're not gonna stop me. They're asleep. Like regular people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who's gonna stop me? Everyone's asleep. (laughs) So fucking Belle decides to just fuck off like a bitch. I swear to God, like, so this is the stupidest thing you could do. Literally packs of wolves, packs of wolves almost kills a beast. And you're just like, yeah, I'm going to walk out there with an axe, a talking, complaining old man axe and a, and a small China cut boy. Oh, and my horse, who is definitely also cool with going back out where the wolves wolves are. Because I want to go cut one of these trees down like one of them real boys. <laughs> this is... So, she goes out to do her crazy, crazy, Why? crazy thing okay, that she's so, doing. So, the craziest thing about this, and there's a lot of crazy things about it, but the craziest thing about this is that she takes Chip with her. A child? Who's a, <laughs> por- who's a, a porcelain, porcelain cup? cup. That is crazy. You could drop a and porcelain cup also, in the snow and it would break. To follow up crazy, crazy things people have done is when the servants realize she has left, Lumiere and, um... Cogsworth? Lumiere and Cogsworth go after her instead of telling Beast, Beast. who is gigantic and has fought off wolves again yesterday. Also, can can I also just point out how, how, and we haven't gotten here yet, but how hard would it have been to just tell the Beast, hey, she went out to cut a Christmas tree? Right! Is this such a big honking secret? Like, he already it knows that... It would have been... F- oh, no, yeah, this... Yeah, she isn't... She isn't being fucking subtle about celebrating Christmas. Christmas. Well, the thing is, is, apparently the Beast is a fucking idiot because he is not aware that Christmas is happening in his house. His... His... Well, there is this... Gr- there is this moment um, at the beginning of the Don't Fall in Love song where he's... He's talking to Forte about Christmas and he says... Maybe she just doesn't know why it's so awful for me. Which, and, and Forte says, oh, she just doesn't care. But that's the thing is, she doesn't know. You haven't told her why it matters. Yes, why you- but in this 
In this version of Beauty and the Beast, there is an evil piano telling him lies, Andy. So here's, okay. I, and you I have do, to accept that. I do want to cut back to this because, okay, it, it is a huge fucking problem that Belle decides to just ignore the fact that it's obviously painful for Beast that she's celebrating Christmas and fucking celebrated anyway. Somebody should, some people shouldn't have to explain to you why doing something hurts them. Just don't do it. But at the same time, you didn't fucking tell her. And if you think that that might be an issue, tell her. And on top of that, on top of that, none of the servants gave it any real pause. They all said, yeah, he doesn't want to celebrate Christmas. Then say, hey, you know what? This is also kind of rough for us. Yeah, like the reason I haven't told my son what Christmas is is because what am I going to give him as a gift? Fucking tea? God. That's going to go over great. Hey, I got, hey, I know you've been a six-year-old teacup for the last ten years. I got you another spot of chamomile. Happy fucking Christmas. This is a nightmare house. <laughs> God. Okay. <laughs> the idea of any holiday makes living in this house and makes this curse so much worse. It does, especially since you are spending the holiday with a child who cannot age. Oh my god. I just realized we never talked about the magic mirror. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Oh, you want to talk about how... So, but wait, right, it's, it's, time, fine. Time, it's fine. Time because for the, a digression, people. It's fine, because the magic mirror hap- happens in this movie. Oh, okay, so, okay, so, so we can so talk, talk about, about them. We can talk about them. How cruel it is. Okay, yes. Do you want to get into Don't Fall in Love? I do. I so do. Yeah. That That song is... And Tim Curry is great. Yeah, you know what? You would not think just from his voice that he was a decent singer. That's, but that's not the first song I've heard him sing, and he's kind of great at it. But that's the thing is, I I believe that Tim Curry is a great singer. I mean, a big part of his life has been this uh, kind of musical that he was in way back when. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I do expect Tim Curry to be a great singer. I don't think people actually liked that musical. Like, what you mean? That's uh, not. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, Rocky Horror. It's it's a it's <laughs> dude. Trust me, it's a. Cult. This this shows how this shows how how young we are. But yeah, but isn't it supposed to be like a so bad it's good? Movie? Uh, from what I can tell, there's a cult. It has a cult following of people who genuinely love it for what it is. I, I don't think it's an okay. ir- I don't think it's an irony thing. I think it's an irony thing for like younger generations, like for for our generation. Okay, no, that makes sense. Just, but but uh, I, there's a large group of people who up. do love it. But yeah, oh, but yeah, this song is fantastic. And but here's the thing about this. Here's the thing is as as fan as fantastic as this song is, and it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. There's a big problem with this song, and it's that apparently Forte has magical fucking powers. Yeah, you know what? I wrote that exact thing in my notes. I wrote the problem with "Don't Fall in Love" is that it establishes Forte as magical. He summons, like, evil cupids to torment the beast, and it seems like kind of hypnotizes him to the idea that love is completely negative, that there is no upside to falling in love. At all. Which from his, which from his point of view is true. Beast spends his time, like, and it's, it's funny, it's, it's an interesting way to take the character, even though it's completely bonkers. When we were watching the first movie, we had all these great reasons for Beast to be acting animalistic for him to not do well with other people. And on top of that now is this weird magic piano manipulative that can that can push any button he wants. 
and he sends his evil cupids after him, and he sends Beast into a fucking rage. Yeah, snapping at his, becoming more and more animalistic, snapping at his, at his green cupids and his, and his um, weird note, uh, like floating musical notes and yeah, musical notes. He'd like slap him in the face with them and stuff. And the I think I think the biggest thing about this musical number in terms of just like sheer like what the fuckitude is the fact that like no one else in the house has magical powers that's the thing it's never explained why and how forte is magical was he always magical was he somehow in cahoots with the enchantress if you if you accept what you are do you become magical yeah are you able to use the magic that turned you into a a piece of like piece of like furniture, furniture to to do do furniture based powers. Who knows? Can you do that? Can 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 everybody do that? Can maybe he started to learn since he didn't have anything to do. Maybe he started learning magic, magic and training himself in magic in this ten years of being stuck to but, a fucking wall. But that's the thing, though, is is like obviously him being this object made him a more powerful like magic magic like super villain yeah at some point or other being a piano became important the fact that he is a piano is what what commands his magic yeah it's 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 the music so after this um amazing kind of musical number while forte has um has hypnotized the beast he has also sent Fife out to assassinate Belle. Yeah, to kill her. He tells her to make sure that they. He tells them to make sure they don't come back. Which I I took, which Fife took to mean sabotage their tree hunting. But obviously Forte wanted him to kill her or just drive her away forever somehow. Um. So before we get to that though, is um the 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 whole reason this musical number starts is because um beast looks into his magic mirror to see where bell is because he's told that they can't find her and he sees that she's in the forest and forte tells beast that bell abandoned him and then the musical number starts and so here's the thing about the magic mirror because because on top of all of this crazy asinine rules and bullshit that the enchantress put upon him that he has to pass in order to, to break this curse Mm-hmm. She also gives him a magic mirror, and the whole point of the magic mirror is it lets him see the rest of the world. He can look at any part of the world that he wants through this magic mirror. But he can never go out. Yeah, but the, here's the thing is, is before before he uses it, it's just a mirror. So he has to look at his own face, realize that he can never be a part of the world, and then ask it to show him a part of it. Jeez. This is, this enchantress is the most, like fucked up bitch in the disney multiverse holy shit like she i really wish they didn't try so hard to make her look like the good guy in the beginning of that fucking yeah because seriously out of all of out of all of the the witches and magic women in the disney multiverse she is easily the most diabolical she designed the perfect curse and gets no flack for it she just disappears to maybe go trick and curse some other 10 year old again I, I feel like she might be the evil queen from Snow White. Only because she does the exact same thing that she that the evil queen did. Well, she can't be, though, at the end of the day. Because she's can't not... She be? 
No, yeah, they're they're not wearing the same thing. Moreover, Andy, <laughs> show people can change clothes. Right? Moreover, that witch dies, and Snow White takes place way before this movie. Does it? When does Snow White's when is Snow White supposed to take place? Uh, it takes place in Germany. I, I, I knew I was pretty sure it was Germany. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I think we're looking into the 1600s. Okay. 15 to 1600s. And Beauty and the Beast takes place in around in the late 1700s. Yeah, if we're thinking closer to 1800s, yeah. But this is a digression. The the, 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 the Enchantress is very good at what she does, and what she does is torture children. Uh, For a decade. For a full decade. If not forever. And so, so, uh, be, uh, Angelique is like, whoa, they did kind of a good job decorating this house, I guess. And then Beast just shows up and fucking wrecks the whole place. Just and like she's all she, she, sad. Yeah, she's really sad because, uh, I don't know, actually, why she's sad. She, yeah. Like, why is she sad? Who knows? She says she, like, let herself believe in Christmas or some bullshit. It's. It literally makes no sense. It's a very weak reason. Do you know what it is? No, 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 no. I can say this. I can say why why she feels sad. I don't. Okay. I don't think it's. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's very much of a stretch. She's been in a fucking attic, and from the be our guest song, we know that when these people who used to have jobs and things to do all day became objects, they and no longer had anything to do. They sort of felt lost. And Angelique, even though she didn't help with all this decorating and designing, she was around all of it. She, she tangentially a part of it. She It gave her purpose again. Right. And then, oops, it's all gone. And you know why she's... And now we know why she stopped decorating the fucking castle. Because beast. the beast would run in, angry, At something. and tear everything up. Because Yeah, because he's a fucking child. Right. Well, at that point, he would he would have been a fucking child and at the time that that happened. And also remember, mind controlled by an evil sorcerer. Yeah. In the rich in the in the first movie, he didn't seem to destroy um, the rest of the house. The rest of the house. Yeah. He he tore up his own room, and I guess didn't let anybody fix it. But if the if the rest of the house had ever been destroyed by him, it got cleaned up I, I i feel like i feel like beast very much very much just kept himself to the west wing which it, it makes more sense to me because destroying a whole house takes a lot of work destroying a single room in a single wing not that much work plus he can probably keep the servants out of his own room and again they like to feel like they're doing something so they clean up the mess the the rest of uh so so we cut to bell she's she finds a, a good nice tree and starts chopping it down with axe Ties it to Philippe and tries to tow it back, but then Fife. Like he like piccolo whistles and breaks the ice, doesn't he? Well, he 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 kind of starts trying to explain himself to Bell, but gets a little blushy, and then he accidentally squeaks and frightens the horse, and then and then all of a sudden they're not in a forest anymore; they're over ice. Which why would you fucking tow anything over ice ever? And the ice starts to break yeah. again. There was no ice in the last movie anywhere. I don't know where the fuck all these ponds are coming from. Here's the thing about this icy water sequence. There are a couple things, even before, e- e- even even accepting all this sudden pond nonsense. Here are two things that didn't fucking grok with me. Chip falls into the water and is seen holding his, his breath. breath. 
the fuck he is. He's a cup. He's fine. At the end of the day, he's a fucking cup. He's not actually a child. He could sink to the bottom of the fucking ocean and be fine until the curse breaks, he turns back into a human, and then is immediately crushed to death by pressure. Alright, that got real. Sorry. Um, It's really dumb. <laughs> this seems really fucking dumb. <laughs> he can be filled with whatever liquid he wants, though. And he... He's fine. He's fine. He's not drowning. Two, trees float? Yes. And this tree didn't seem to get that fucking memo? <laughs> yeah, this tree got, this tree missed, uh, missed that one little update. Like, hey guys, by the way, from now on, trees float. Somebody make sure to tell yeah, Ted. I don't know if this tree was just extremely dense and so decided that it was going to sink everyone into the water. It, it's a symbol for how, for, for the despair that the beast feels. I don't fucking, is it now? No, it's not. It's just dumb. It's fucking dumb, is what it is. Anyway, I feel like I feel like Lumiere and Cogsworth must show up, but I cannot for the life of me remember what the hell they do. Well, oh, Lumiere sleds on Cogsworth. Yeah. I don't think it's that important. I think that's just what they do. Eventually, Beast shows up and saves everyone and is pissed about it. He throws, yeah. Well, we're going to get there in a second. Okay. But the fact that he has to save her again is... I understand that they... They put that point in the movie at about the same point in this movie. But what they did to the timeline is have Belle get into trouble twice two fucking days in a row. And then have Beast have to get her out of trouble two fucking days in a row. And I would be tired of her too, but here's the other big, big problem. He locks her up. Here's, here's the thing is, she fell into water? He doesn't dry her off. He doesn't wrap her in a coat. He just throws her into a fucking dungeon, soaking wet, and says, "Fuck you." She's gonna freeze um, to death in there. While we're on the subject of, while we're on the subject of clothes, she has been wearing her peasant clothes, um, for this entire movie, despite the fact that at this point in the other movie she has changed out of them. Yeah, because the wardrobe gives her something better to wear. And I guess they like didn't want us to forget who Belle was. But come on, guys, don't spoon-feed me it. We already know she has a fucking Christmas-looking get-up. She wears it at the end of this movie. But anyway, she is thrown in the dungeon, which... So the fact that Beast locks Bella up in the dungeon is weirdly important to this story because she needs to have a low point before you get back to the high point of, yay, Christmas. But it makes the real story... So much worse because suddenly it's established that Beast will lock up Belle for making him unhappy. It changes the dynamic of the relationship back to being Beast being in power and Belle being helpless, which is bad. Yes, which is terrible. That's just about the worst kind of relationship you can have. Ow. <laughs> you okay? I accidentally punched my desk. So Belle, Belle decides, uh, Belle and the other kind of staff kind of like sing about christmas again yeah and my note here is just oh that's the song they decide to revisit <laughs> not which in the scene immediately after this they could have revisited don't fall in love and they could have ended it with a massive crush. that would have been pretty good because you know why it would have been pretty good tony because they could have they could have in mid song crescendoed and then and broken it, yeah. into the beast saying but maybe I can fall in love after all because he decides not to destroy the rose himself and and just be a beast forever. He decides to open up Belle's present and read a fucking book. Okay, yes. Well, this is yes. 
Even though he can't read. He can't. He can't read. He can't read. It's an important plot point that he can't fucking read. And they just didn't care. Oh, fuck. <laughs> this movie just shits all, all over. over these characters. This is definite. It, honestly, if it wasn't for a Tim Curry and being the villain in this movie, this would be the worst one. There would be no redemption of this movie if they didn't. The thing is, I hate Lion King too. But you're right when you talk about how they fucking tried. And I know you don't like Lion King one and a half, but I think they did a lot to stay true to those characters. Oh no, I they, they did do that. But hot damn, they just... <laughs> just took a big old fluid dump over this movie. Holy shit. This, this, is, this is a mess. This is like... Oh, and then we get into back... Because we're jumping back and forth between the Beast and everyone else in a in a cell. Oh, that's and, right. And Lumiere and Cogsworth start singing A Cut Above the Rest, which is a song about how one's better than the other, but no, they're really both great together. And it has no fucking reason to be in this godforsaken film. Here's the thing about that fucking music piece, is that's obviously them trying to resolve the whole rivalry thing that they set up in two seconds and then immediately didn't talk about for the rest of the fucking goddamn movie. I, it's fucking terrible. It's the worst. That song is the worst. Oh, song. and I hate, I hate, okay, so the point of Belle as a character is that she does unite all these people. Yeah. However, having her just say, I think you two are great together, is not uniting somebody. You're being a fucking yes man, Belle. And we've all Get seen your bullshit. And we've all seen that movie, and Jim Carrey taught us that being a yes man is a bad idea. Didn't Jim Carrey teach us not to lie to kids in that movie? No, that was liar, liar. Okay. Don't watch Yes Man, but I will say, look up Yes Man because there's an amazing scene where Jim Carrey uh, sings uh, Jumper. Oh yes, no, I have seen Yes Man. Okay, <laughs> and that scene's awesome because of how stupid it is. Uh, the rest of that movie's forgettable. So then Beast. Manages to shake off whatever influence Forte has over him. Forte has over him. Presumably with the power of love. Uh, because that's how magic works in Disney movies. So, I need to go find a bunch of dying mothers. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he, goes, he, goes, he goes down to the jail cell, and he says, Belle, can you forgive me? And the correct answer is no. But she does. And they're all happy for about two seconds until Tim Curry reminds us that there is a fucking villain in this goddamn Damn movie. movie. <laughs> and he's gonna go out with a bang. I literally, it literally felt like, like it cuts back to him and he's like, it's, did they forget I was still in this house? Did they forget that they hired me to be in this film? I'll remind them. And he just starts shaking the house apart. Yeah. And playing really dissonant music and stuff starts cracking and i'm talking uh disaster movie earthquake cracking like the house is splitting apart beneath them this castle has no structural integrity slash forte is so much stronger than we thought and and he says the line if the beast dies then he can't break the curse which is a great and fucking line for we a will villain. stay like this forever. And you know what? Points to Forte for figuring it out. Nobody else seems to have put together the whole immortality thing. 
but he wasn't giving up immortality just to get off of a wall. Yeah, he seemed to have, he seems to have cut his losses, um, which is ironic because he was stuck to a wall. So he starts playing. The house is being destroyed beneath him. Beast climbs up to climbs up to his to the west wing to stop him. I forget exactly how this goes, but I think he goes to attack him, and the green uh, musical notes start assaulting him again. And then Bell tells him to grab the keyboard. No, Fife and, does. And, Fife does. Oh, Fife does. Okay. And in in actually a really great moment, all the music is playing, and then he yanks the keyboard off, and then you can hear the keys clicking. Yeah. And none of the music is playing anymore, and Forte loses his fucking shit, yanks himself- Out of the wall. Topples over into one of, like, the top three creepy Disney deaths. Yeah. He just kind of- falls apart and shudders against the ground and shudders to death and it is honestly right up there with like tarzan and hunchback of notre dame for creepy disney deaths yeah i would not show this movie to kids solely because that death is horrifying and also this character is horrifying it's an old my brother my brother and me joke where they say tim curry couldn't get couldn't get a kid to come near him if he was in an ice cream truck being driven by a pokemon (laughs) god bless him i loved him curry but he is the the creepiest voice in the world he's like yeah it's it's beautiful i love his voice is like perfectly molded to play villains so so after killing his best friend beast and everybody just decide to celebrate christmas together and they have a good time you know what they fucking do they and like you killed your best friend his best friend well to be fair it was a toxic one-sided relationship but still yeah but andy if i've learned that you have been spitting poison in my ear this whole time during this whole podcast and i have it would still fucking hurt to kill you well i'm glad i hope you appreciate that by the way i'm glad that it would hurt (laughs) I hope you appreciate how much it would presumably hurt me to kill you. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you're still totally cool with killing me. I'm glad to know that no, it yeah. will hurt you though. Yeah, at I least mean, that much. Kind of. Um, maybe one sleepless night, but nope. And then, and then we flash forward again, and it turns out, oh, Bell saved Christmas. Even though, no, <laughs> Be- I'm sorry, Beast saved Christmas. Yeah, Beast actually did save Christmas. He killed the evil piano here's here's the thing i'm all about giving credit where credit is due i'm all about having mm-hmm. uh having like and i'm all about having female characters be competent and saving the day but the thing is is that last thing that i just said didn't happen in this movie at all not even a little bit yeah no you're absolutely right and i also love female characters being competent and saving the day and it is one of the main problems with um not with Disney movies that are coming out now, but with with the older Disney movies, uh, like even in even in the generation that we grew up with, the idea was, hey, let's we need Disney princess movies to be more approachable. So why don't we put a bunch of guys in them? Like, what? Why don't you just make the girls better? They also did that, but they also put a bunch of guys in them. But yes, but- I. Bell did not save the day. Bell did not do anything in this fucking film except make bad decisions and not care about other people's feelings. Which is entirely contrary to her character in the last movie. I'm so tired. When you said entirely, I thought you were going to say that she stayed completely to her character. No, she didn't. She was 
she, this is a completely different character. It's awful mm-hmm. how they, they just they just shat on the last movie. This beautiful they like shat on it, but then also like put a little pearl on top. <laughs> which doesn't which doesn't make it better, but definitely makes it more bearable. Um. So um, for Christmas, Chip gets this is kind of this is kind of important as a sort of wrap up. Chip gets a um, a storybook, a storybook, and then Bell get uh the prince gives Bell a f- uh, rose, which is which is sweet. It's like a nice little token. But on the other hand, she better he better got her some fucking bling because what'd you do just. Was it a last minute thing? Just walk outside and sniff a rose, dude? He's still not quite... He still hasn't quite gotten a, a hold of that whole celebrating Christmas thing yet. It's only been a year. And then and then he nods to Fife, who is now <laughs> apparently the maestro of the music group. And they just start playing uh, music as the movie comes to a close. Without a piano, right? Yep. Here's the thing. A piano is still a good instrument. <laughs> Well, it was, he was a pi- You don't need to have an evil person playing the piano. Well, I mean, to be fair, it wasn't a piano, it was a pipe organ, one of the most depressing, which makes one of the most depressing noises known to man. But A, but B, you're right, uh, you, they could have still used a good, a good solid grand piano. I mean, they have a grand piano. Yeah, but you know what, this is, uh, this is, uh, we're, we're fucking ending, we're gonna end this on a low note. Right here, where we end with the words "grand piano" just thrown in there. <laughs> I don't, I don't think we're ending this on a low note because I do, I do want to bring up one more thing, and it's that this entire movie, I was keeping my ear out. There was no Jim Cummings in it, but gas. But apparently, apparently, Jim Cummings was in this movie as at, listed as various. Ha! <laughs> there we go. Uh, he was probably like the sound that the um, furnace made or something. Yeah, <laughs> literally, probably that. I knew you wouldn't leave us behind, Jim. Yeah, that that was my favorite part because because I was like, you know, Jim Cummings wasn't in this movie. Cue uh, credits credit card coming up. Jim Cummings, various, and I was like, oh, I guess he was. Fantastic. Great. Perfect. Oh, this movie man. sucks. Oh man! 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 So that was Beauty and the Beast, and Beauty and the Beast, the Enchanted Christmas. and Enchanted Christmas. We have a whole like five hours of raw audio right now. I am so sorry. No, this is fine. I'm really happy with this. This is going to be a fun episode. I think to listen back to, if only because we're going to have. I think it will be four hours have... of high. <laughs> octane energy talk about beauty and the beast and then one hour and 30 minutes of us like talking very tired (laughs) (laughs) like trying to get through this movie and trying to be happy about the tim curry's role in it and then just being like like guys it is seven o'clock in the morning we started recording before or around midnight holy fucking shit this podcast is going to kill us it is going to kill us both if we we have we i think what we need to do is like like we're not gonna we're like i'm gonna tell you guys right now we're not gonna do aladdin for a good long time i don't think we'll have so much issue with aladdin oh well you know okay you have the but but i mean i don't i feel like there won't be as much of a the thing that i loved and now kind of hated about watching beauty and the beast was having all these crazy ideas about it while i was watching it it's such a i feel like a lot of disney movies are not as crazy as beauty and the beast yeah i feel like beauty i feel like more disney movies would 
would gain a lot from just designing a world that is insane and makes no sense. <laughs> I will say though, I think I think the next I think when we do the Cinderella movies, we're gonna find a whole new world of uh crazy to dive into. A new fantastic point of view. No one tells no. This episode is going to be Wolf Quest levels of crazy. <laughs> Listening back to it, yeah. I am one hundred percent certain. Even, even though it's, I it's going to end on a very tired note, though it has to, um, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, thank you for listening to Direct to Video VHS. VHS. If we recorded, it would have been way smarter if we recorded this in two separate sessions. If we were like, you know what, it's four in the morning, let's stop for today, pick up tomorrow. But no. We we did this all in two takes. Then we wouldn't have all this. We wouldn't have all this great energy. I have been. I've been your host, Tony Robusto. I have been your host, Andres. Beast is hot. The prince is not Reyes. All right. Yeah, I think I think we can all agree that that is an opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can find me at Theater Baths on Twitter, and uh, you can find me at Royalty underscore Valens on Twitter. Um, you can also find the rest of our podcast if you want to listen to it on Direct Two dot Video or wherever you decide to get your podcasts. Um, be sure to leave us that sweet, sweet five star review on either iTunes or Google Play, and. Thank you. Just, just thanks for listening. Thanks for being here with us while we went through insanity. Now I'm gonna look this up. This is this was one and a half hours, so that brings it to five and a half hours. Five and a half hours. <laughs> I feel like let's we're... round it up to an even six. Thanks for joining us for this six hours of content. I feel like I'm going insane. <laughs> I feel like I'm going crazy over here. I feel like you're going insane too. I'm not used to this. I haven't stayed up this late since like the first time we started hanging out. Um, Way back then, yeah. What was that, five years ago now? Yeah, that, yeah. Holy shit, that's crazy. Uh, Maybe closer to six. I'll ask Struder. F- five and change. Uh, Andy. Yeah. What movie are we watching next week? Next. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no. No. No, thank you. <laughs> next week we're going to have a DVD extras, probably. Uh, um, we're probably not going to have anything next week. We're probably not going to have anything for two weeks. You guys are getting six hours of content. Be happy. Be happy with what it. Are we, the next time we sit down to watch a movie for this insane podcast that we have, what are we watching? We're going to be going off script and... Uh, we're going to be watching uh, Treasure Planet and Muppets Treasure Planet. What did I write down? No. What? <laughs> God damn it, Andy. It's like seven in the morning for him. You have to. I wrote down. You have to allow for some stuff. I wrote down Treasure Planet, Muppets, Treasure Planet. Great. Oh, fuck So me. we're going to be watching something with the Muppets in it and something without the Muppets We're going to be watching. And one of them has Tim Curry again. Uh, Muppets Treasure Island has Tim Curry in it. Yes, it's amazing. I know that I because so I was much. I know that because I was just looking at Tim Curry's Wikipedia page. So I would I would have been pleasantly surprised. Oh, apologies. I'm I'm no, it's fine. I ruined it for myself. I'm very excited about this. So are we good? Am I good? Yeah, I think we're good. Until next time, I am the ghost of John Smith. <laughs>